This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by Patreon.com slash CBC Clubhouse. Comic Book Click is on Patreon, guys. For as little as $0.10 cents a day or $3 a month, not only can you help keep the lights on here at Comic Book Click headquarters, but your donation gives you access to exclusive content like CBC commentaries, polls where you can choose what content we cover next, and special behind-the-scenes footage of things here at Comic Book Click. Visit Patreon.com slash CBC Clubhouse today and become a Patreon. And remember, you, yes you, are worthy. Hello everybody out there in comic book land. My name is George Serrano, aka The Don, and if you're listening to this, you can only be here for one reason, and that's a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast, brought to you by ComicBookClick.com, and as always, I am never alone. Sir, if you could please introduce yourself. What is up everybody? Jonas Scudero here, aka Yogi. Yogi is here. And before we get into the nitty gritty of this episode, because it's going to be a hell of an episode, I have to say, first and foremost, sir, I am sorry. This is a book recommendation you have been giving me <laughs> for quite some time now. Um, it's, been long. it's been like three years. No, I don't know. <laughs> it's, been it's been some time. Weeks upon weeks upon weeks. And you have been waving the flag of Jonathan Hickman for years. As long as I've known you, um, you put me on to his Fantastic Four, all that stuff with Secret Wars, um, tremendous work. And yeah, it. I don't know what took me so long, but today we're going to sit and we're going to talk about House of X and is it Powers of Ten? Oh, yeah. Yeah. House of X and Powers of Ten. Did you ever get around? Did you ever get to read Secret Warriors? Secret Warriors. I'm still I'm getting through Secret Warriors. Man, that's now. Some good that's stuff pretty. Too. Yeah, I, that's pretty I, badass stuff. Even I, I would say it's underrated because even I forget to tell people to read that. <laughs> like, yeah. yo, I forgot to mention. <laughs> it's great though. We're we're you know um we're pretty X Men light as far as uh, content is concerned because I always felt like those comic books were incredibly intimidating. So many different characters, so many different continuities, some characters getting solo books, some teams getting their own books. It was its own mini universe. And we talk often about the effects like the New 52 had on characters like Wally West. But one of the things that is completely understated is during the 2000s, just the clusterfuck that was <laughs> the X-Men um, with, you know, great moments like Grant Morrison's run on the new X-Men and then, you know, bad moments like constant things like decimation uh mutants losing their powers um all you know the turn of cyclops everything that comes um after the fact there with all that being said and with the mutants as they were were you excited when this was announced that jonathan hickman was taking over this book did you have any doubts that with all the problems that the um source material already had that it would be an issue for him to kind of juggle no no. See, the thing about Jonathan Hickman on the X-Men is a year before it was ever announced, very if I, I knew the rumor was out there already. <clears throat> the rumor was Jonathan Hickman wanted the X-Men, but he wouldn't take them unless Marvel put them back the way that they belong. <laughs> you, know? you put those things back. <laughs> so there's another thing, too, is that I started reading comics in, like, 2008, and, and that is, like, dead center in the middle of, like, X-Men dead zone. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. so I don't have the biggest, like my, my, all my X-Men knowledge comes from reading the 
one, two, or three recommended books from that era that were fairly self-contained and that yeah. someone was just trying to tell good stories with X-Men characters in an era where they weren't allowed to expand upon the lore or even connect to older things. Yeah. Yeah. You get these like kind of one shot stories. And even in the bigger um, crossover titles, they would kind of just push the X-Men over to the side. Now, yep. what was interesting was, you know, my uh, introduction to Jonathan Hickman was that uh, Fantastic Four run. Then I went back and read some of his other stuff, but the Fantastic Four had a similar issue where they disappeared for years at a time in Marvel continuity. They, they, these were the properties that because the MCU didn't own them, Disney didn't own them, they were kind of getting pushed to the side. Um, but yeah, I guess Hickman has always had this kind of Christopher Nolan-esque mind where he's already building the puzzle uh, pieces and you know trying to move forward with this thing. I guess um, without any spoilers, uh, what what did you think of this series? Oh man, it was um <clears throat> like all, like all, like all Jonathan Hickman books. In the beginning, it was like okay, this is a lot. I, I, <laughs> at, at some point, I actually stopped reading them to just yeah. let them build up because, like, I'm not even gonna lie. What's the point of reading Jonathan Hickman books on a, on a monthly or a weekly basis? Like, there's absolutely no point. You're doing yourself a disservice. Almost, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. it's hard. And I know um, some people can do it, but I, I can't. I it's like, there's a lot, it's a lot to remember. Right. Know? Yeah, and I I think that's kind of that was kind of my reservation in the beginning as well. Is that you know, with every story, you also get these um, data pages, fill, like these sometimes schematics or, you know, um, computer files, uh, directories, and it's information that's pertinent to the story. But if you're not reading these things back to back, you can kind of forget some, some of these things can fall through the cracks. Yep. Um, reading that, I read this whole thing, you know, uh, all 12 issues straight, and it read way better than when I was initially trying to poke my head into it trying to poke my head into it initially it was almost impenetrable because mm. you get to um you, you wait a couple weeks and then you get flung 100 years into the future and then you're like wait a minute what's going on here uh as far as uh that was concerned but i think that once you are once you get into this there's something about uh hickman's ability to paint some of these characters even though they're heroic as gray you know, like I look at, at Reed Richards, his Reed Richards, um, yeah. you know, as somebody like now his Reed Richards is the Reed Richards I constantly want to see where it's like he he's a, definitely a hero, but his curiosity might make him, you know, fall into those shades of gray. And now we're looking at a at a team, you know, uh, an X-Men team. And when you look at when you hear that, you think of that 90s lineup, all that bright yellow and blue. They're running at you. Everyone's smiling. But no, they're all turning their backs. They're all saying enough is enough. They're saying that uh, that they they they're um, they're making their own choices now. This is going to be their world, and that and I love it. What is it? Um, while we were asleep, the world changed. I love it. I love it. Oh my god, that's some. It's so powerful because I don't know. They always say like the X Men are like a um, like an allegory or for for. Uh, for for the disenfranchised, you know, I, I some of these some of these words, some of the messages in this in this particular story felt so powerful to me. I like yeah. I felt I felt this. I felt this. I when you closed your eyes last night, and you believe the world was yours. That was a dream. That was a lie. Oh my god. Yeah. No. <laughs> it it really felt that way. And like I said, you know, it was already apparent in the editorial 
how much this group was getting kicked. So the fact that they addressed so much of the the cluster that this was all in, oh, it just made everything else sing so so well, so well. It's just it's I don't I don't know if it's is if if it's intentional or not, but it just it even connects to a lot of things that are going on today. Like yeah, a lot of the people who believe the world is, is supposed to be one way or belongs to one group of people, and it's like no nah, man, this is the future right here. This is the evolution. Yeah, we'll get into because I think the one of the biggest introductions that he does with this is this idea of Krakoa, this sovereign nation uh, for mutants. And while a lot of the stuff that that is being asked by Xavier and his people, uh, you know, just basically the acknowledgement that they exist and all that kind of stuff. This is the same kind of stuff that Wakanda already has, you know, that Latveri already has. Uh, and just the fact that they're saying we want it too, it's like, whoa, 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 relax. Like, what, <laughs> you know, what's going on here? And it's like, no, I mean, everyone else is able to do it. Why can't we? And you makes you think like, yeah, why can't they? You know, um, I, I there's something really uh, cool about the plot holes seemingly in the story of the X-Men. I mean, decades and different writers and everything and how Jonathan Hickman just has his little scalpel and his little, uh, you know, cement and he just covers this one up and he just covers this one up. And I'm like, this is, this is a masterclass. He respects everything that came before, but he like, I cannot believe how much he was able to mine from what already existed. I guess um, I, I say all the time that when I look at, x-men media like the stuff that exceeds the comics um animated stuff or movies it's all just days of future past and <laughs> dark phoenix <laughs> it's all just those two stories over and over again they, they don't know how to tell any other stories so i'm hoping that this is the start of a whole new you know personification of the x-men that people look at them in a different light and like i love all this stuff now like even if you're not following the series all this like um, Hellfire Gala stuff, <laughs> you know, like this, it's amazing. They're, they're a people, like they're really starting to treat them as a people. Um, and it, it's really, really cool to see. I think so. Um, but yeah, House of X and Powers of 10 are two X-Men comic books created by writer Jonathan Hickman and artist Pepe Larraz, R.B. Silvia, Silva and Marty Garcia, published by Marvel Comics in 2019. Both comic books are part of a crossover storyline within the Marvel Universe that leads to the Dawn of X relaunch. So we're going to go ahead and get into full spoiler territories, go through some synopsi of these issues, <laughs> uh, stopping at the interesting parts, which are seemingly all of it, and, um, <laughs> and, and dissecting how we were feeling going through it. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Let's get to it. So issue one, the house that Xavier built. So uh, this issue starts off showing that somewhere um, Professor X, even though I find out now that it's Professor X's mind in Phantom X's body. Yes. Um, uh, he's wearing this cerebral helmet that makes him look very similar to the maker, the alternate uh, Mar Marvel Universe's equivalent of Reed Richards, who was a heel, was a bad guy, and had that big helmet over his head. Um, but you see him watching over several beings coming out of these cocoons, and he says to me, my X-Men, as they crawl towards him. I had absolutely no idea what this meant. This was the beginning of me going, uh, <laughs> am I supposed to understand this? <laughs> but no, I think you're just kind of supposed to go with the flow. There's a lot of that here where I'm like, I really want to look this up, 
but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna power through, and you, you get rewarded on the other end. Now, see, I when I when I was reading this, I actually noticed the. Um, I, I was weird. I was weirded out because uh, I you can kind of tell like is that Jean Grey naked yeah, down there? Yeah. Is, is this Scott? Yeah, you see that. Like, you see the uh, almost the, the ruby quartz kind of stuff coming out of his eyes. Which just makes everything entirely more confusing. Very, very confusing. <laughs> very confusing. Is, is it me or are Xavier's mannerisms a bit flamboyant in this series? Oh, yeah. 100%. He's flamboyant. He's confident. He's it's cocky. a power, right? He's like, he's like a swagger about him now. It's like a weight that's been lifted off of him. Yeah. because he's no not- more. I guess because he's not talking to enemies anymore. Everyone who's of mutant kind is on his side. No more of this false dream that's oh, weighed that, upon him. That no more panel, man. Ooh. <laughs> bananas. bananas. Uh, we see that starting five months ago, <clears throat> members of the X-Men began planting uh, flowers or taking flowers from the island of Krakoa to various locations, notably Westchester County, New York, the blue area of the moon, the green area on Mars, the Savage Lands, Washington, D.C., and the Jerusalem Habitat. Since then, uh, they have grown into large biomasses of plant life. Now, at the Jerusalem Habitat, several ambassadors arrived to the area, responding to a telepathic message sent by Charles Xavier to recognize a new sovereign nation of mutants, Krokoa. The ambassadors are met by the newly appointed Krokoan ambassador, Magneto. So when you find out Magneto's in this, and on seemingly on Xavier's side, what do you think it to yourself? I love it. I yeah. love. I love it. I love the way he looks. I love his suit here. Love white. I love white suit Magneto, man. I just. I. I just. I love to see Xavier and Magneto on the same side because that's where they've always been. They've always had the same dream. They've just approached it very differently. And seeing them work together, it feels so good. Yeah, one could argue that they were both the extreme sides of their argument. And if they just leaned a little bit towards each other, they'd be on the same path because 100% they were going in the same direction, seemingly as at the same direction being a, a place for all mutant kind to live safely. Um, but yeah, the, no reason right now as to why Magneto is on the team, but raises an eyebrow. We see Jean Grey lead the mutant residents of the X-Mansion to Krakoa. Information is given through uh, diagrams on the layout of Krakoa, as well as the main items of trade that it produces. This, this is the game changer. Turns out that Krakoa can produce uh, various flowers um, that can then be made into drugs that can extend human life, that can uh, create portals that only mutants can go through, that can... Um, create medicine that can cure any mental illness, uh, an extreme um, antibiotic, like an uh, amazing antibiotic. So these, this is the leverage, the mutant leverage. Um, how important do you think it was to introduce that, that this was something that they had on their side? I love that it was a flower. And I always, and I wonder like, can I, can I smoke? It's medicine, right? It's medicine. Yeah. It's Krakoan medicine flowers. Like, do I yeah. do, do I crush it and smoke it? Or like, <laughs> you, know? you just start talking in those symbols when 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 all that <laughs> when all that goes down. This is great. I'm, I love it though. I love that. Uh, I love what I just love that he's already dropping these freaking bombs. Like, yeah. early, very early. Issue one. Issue one and. Um, one could argue what 
besides the, the the fierceness of their warriors what gets wakanda the respect that it has is the very valuable vibranium that it has so the fact that Krakoa has something very valuable in itself will get it respect by the other nations so i think that's pretty cool um near the sun spacecraft um oh did we talk about the uh, the mutant side of those flowers, though? Oh, so uh, the mutant side, um, the flowers are able to create these portals that lead back to Krakoa. Um, if I'm not mistaken, there's they, a there's a gateway one. There's right. one that creates an entire habitat. Right. But there's there's one that creates a habitat that Krakoa doesn't actually know about. Almost yes. like creating a cancer. It's in called Krakoa. A, a, a no space, right? A no place. A no place. A no place. I don't yeah. know what's going to happen, but I would hate for them to make Krakoa angry yeah. by using that flower. But you know, if Hickman is introducing this concept, that at some yeah. point, at some point, it's going to come up. And I don't think Krakoa would like that. I mean, what we at one point, we go through a pretty primitive mutant trial uh, where some pretty sick things happen. And I could totally see... You know, you people be getting banished to the shadow realm <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, when all this when all this is said and done. Um, so, yeah, near the sun, a spacecraft approaches uh, a station known as the Forge, home base of a human group called the Orkies. So I kept thinking that like my comic was misspelled. Like it was supposed to be like orchids, like the flower, because it shows the flower in the thing. I don't know if Orkies is a kind of orchid or what, but. Um, Orkies is the self-proclaimed last hope for humanity, made up of various members of the human organizations, AIM, SHIELD, HYDRA, Alpha Flight, and others, allied to prevent the extinction, extinction of Homo sapiens to mutants. Because they've done a study, and it turns out <laughs> that mutant kind is going to be taken over by, uh, I mean, sorry, humankind is going to be taken over by mutant kind in about 12 years, I think is what they said. And what we were also told is that... Um, while the numbers have been dwindling for mutant kind through events like um, the humongous, you know, Genosha massacre and uh, things like House of M, the No More Mutants and the decimation that had those things not happened, mutant kind would have been taken over <laughs> humankind like they would have eclipsed in numbers, power, all of that. Um, what do you think about that wrinkle that he adds there? That basically, I think they literally write it that those events bought humanity time. It almost feels like it's not a surprise at all. It didn't feel like something that came out of nowhere. It felt like an in inevitability. We've always written these stories about how mutant kind is the evolution of humankind. And that means that at some point, mutants will have to take over uh, humankind. That's just the way evolution works. Uh, I, I love that he rushed it. <laughs> but, um, but uh yeah man I, I love i love this i love all of this yeah i think what's also pretty cool is that um i think that there was some question you know when they were coming when they were doing death of x when the terrigen mist was killing mutants i think it was some question as to whether or not they really were at the at the end of the evolutionary chain so the fact that he's reinstating that like no no no, no you guys have no idea like well you thought you had them on the ropes if you didn't have that, we wouldn't even be here. Like if, if they didn't, if they weren't on their last legs, you know, we wouldn't be here. And that's pretty cool there. Um, the Forge is based on the remnants of Soul's Hammer, a planet killer designed by the Illuminati during the lead up to Secret Wars, and a Mother Mold, a sentient machine designed to create master molds in which, uh, which in turn create sentinels. It's like a factory almost. Um, 
Orcus was activated when Xavier's message went out to the world, seemingly a trigger for the eventual extinction of humanity. We then see a team of Mystique, Sabretooth, and Toad infiltrate a base of damage control, searching for information in the databases. While they get what they search for, Sabretooth maims several guards in the chaos and is eventually captured by the Fantastic Four. Um, at the same time, Magneto leads the ambassadors through several worldwide Krakoan habitats connected through portals. The, the ambassadors question the warlike capabilities of the instantaneous travel, which Magneto declares is instead of a kind of instrument of war, is an insaliable refuge. He also reveals that the ambassadors will not be going to the island of Krakoa, for man is not welcome there. Um, I think Magneto is the perfect <laughs> tour guide for a situation like this. Like where people are going to be getting hostile and getting crazy. One guy pulls out a gun <laughs> later on. Uh, Magneto is the perfect guide for something like this because he doesn't take any mess. And it was really cool to see him stand up to a lot of these uh, politicians. I thought that was another powerful scene, though. The, uh, the the whole, well, I guess the whole conversation that he has with these humans. I guess we'll get to where this dude pulls out his gun and all that stuff. So. Yeah. Um. So... Well, uh, yeah, while the Fantastic Four are about to take away Sabretooth, Cyclops arrives to bring him back to Krakoa due to the diplomatic immunity. While tensions arrive between him and Mr. Fantastic, Cyclops decides to leave Sabretooth to them to avoid a situation. Um, while leaving, Invisible Woman asks if Cyclops and X are sure about what they're doing. Cyclops states that he believes in uh, Professor X and offers Invisible Woman's mutant son, Franklin Richards, a place to stay with his family on Krakoa before leaving. That whole scene was incredibly tense. And again, it's a masterclass in Hickman's ability to um, understand our expectations of a situation like that. Because I thought everybody was going to throw down. I thought Cyclops was straight up going to fight everybody and be like, it is what it is. You know, I'm I'm the leader of this and whatever. Uh, but he doesn't. What do you think about or what did you think about that line about Franklin Richards having a home? That's awesome because that's immediately what I'm thinking about. <clears throat> well, I know Jonathan Hickman and I know how much <clears throat> excuse me, I know how much Jonathan Hickman loves Franklin Richards. So yeah. I'm immediately thinking about Franklin Richards' um place on the mutant scale, which is an omega he's an omega level mutant. Yeah, like which they also it. go into, into into this. They clear out, they clear all that up, and they just uh, have, give us a uh, basic list of who they say are the mega level mutants left. Yeah, Hickman is Hickman is <laughs> Hickman's a nut. I, 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 he, it's amazing what he does here with the with the label Omega level mutant finally giving it this clear cut definition of what it means and and who actually is an Omega level mutant. Any of these changes. Um, did you dislike no any of these because well, i mean these some of these are bold are bold i'm here changes. if anything <laughs> if anything I, I i hate that marvel i don't know if it's an editorial thing or i don't know if it's something that'll come back around but they pretty much like we set up this really cool tense thing here and and later on it 
we just use it as an excuse to take Franklin wrenches off the table. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I've heard God, about that. Yeah. God damn. Well, like, yeah. I was wondering, I was wondering if people had issues also with the pretender, you know, uh, Wanda I think off. that's amazing. That's great because, <clears throat> well, the, she's one of the major reasons why mutant kind isn't progressed as far as it could be because of her no more mutants breakdown because she's yep. a freaking, she's got problems. And <laughs> the idea that she's not allowed on Krakoa because of who she is, she's a pretender. That's that's awesome. That's crazy. Uh, back with the ambassadors, Magneto reveals to the Stepford Cuckoos that he is aware of the true nature of the ambassadors as potential plants within Krakoa while hinting that one member has a true alliance to the Orkies. While he claims he is not threatening them, Magneto declares that he wants humanity to understand that they have new gods now. Now, this is the scene that you were talking about where um, they, uh, Ismi, one of the Stepford Cuckoos, is using her telepathy to kind of scan all these ambassadors and find out what they're really there for. And she realizes that one of them has a weapon. And Magneto does what he always does, which is pull it apart and take it apart. Um, and he says, you know, that he usually would be um, surprised or even offended at a, sh- a wolf pretending to be a sheep, but he's realized that everyone's wolves. Like, he's no, they're no longer playing around with anybody. They can't trust anybody, and it's all about mutant kind at this point. Um, he says that he brought them there. Like, this was not even a discussion. They're not, you know, we're not trying to have a, a conversation. I'm bringing you to New Jerusalem because of the metaphor. Jerusalem, God, the birthplace of, of religion. And so I'm bringing you to the birthplace of the new religion of the mutants because we're your new gods now. And man, that is that is some stuff. I just love to see humans, uh, humans put into their place. Because it's like, man, the guy's like, you know, I, I wasn't going to use it. I, I was just like, for my protection. And he's like, well, you know, that's the fucking, that's the problem. You people, that that's the problem right there. Fear of the different. Yeah. I didn't bring you here to talk to you, man. I already know you're an idiot. Yeah. I, I'm here to tell you. Yeah. I, we're, 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 we're not playing anymore. It, <laughs> it, it really makes everything that they did in the past seem like, um, like light, you know? Like, oh, the please, can you just please treat us right? Can you please just please? Now it's like, nah, no conversation. We don't even got to talk because there will be no you treating us right because we don't need you. We've um, done this. We've done this over and over again. Yeah. You've, no you've more. Had, you've had your chance. Uh, so issue two is called The Last Dream of Professor X. And this, this is the um, Powers of X issue. And this is when we start to realize that Powers of X and most majority of this story is going to be broken up into three timelines. Year one, which is the beginning of, of uh, Charles Xavier meeting um, Moyer McTaggart and thus, you know, getting the idea to start the X-Men. That's actually zero. Oh, zero. Sorry. Uh, year 10, which is the present day as we're reading it. And then year 100, uh, the war. I even think it goes up to year 1000, right? Yeah, it's got X0, X1, X2, uh, and X3. It's yeah. uh, the year one, year 10, year 100, year 1000. Right. And so the, they keep that year zero. Um, they, you know, that culminates the event is uh, at a fair in Oxford. Charles Xavier meets Moyer McTaggart uh, or Moyer Kinross, uh, who asks why he's smiling. Charles explains that recently he had the most wonderful dream of his place in a better world, referring to the eventual creation of Xavier's school and the X-Men. Moira stops for a second before stating, well, here's the thing, Charles. 
it's not a dream, it's real. Charles questions whether or not they've met before, which Moira responds by asking him to read her mind. Charles reads Moira's mind and his eyes go wide. Uh, in the present day, Mystique and Toad arrive on Krakoa after the infiltration of damage control. Mystique takes the flash drive with her findings on it to X and Magneto, who enter it into a computer to view the contents. Now, this is fishy, right? <laughs> <laughs> like the fact that Professor X sent mutant villains to break into damage control. I think I'm almost certain Sabretooth killed a whole bunch of people. I don't know that. I'm, I don't know how much as I, I didn't think of it as fishy at the moment because I, I kind of saw the thing about how mutant kind is one now and it, it, and they were represented by freaking Magneto of all people. So I, I had already kind of, I, I feel like I already lost the labels. Like they're okay. all mutants now. It's, it's Sabretooth's freaking nature to be as nasty as he is. And he right. killed a freaking guard. So now he's got to pay for that. But I, yeah. I didn't think of it as fishy as much as I was like, they needed something to be done and they're done playing nice with mutant, with humans. Do you think the old Xavier would have seen that and justifying the means? No way. He would have, he wouldn't, he would have axed. Please, sir. Can I please have that flash drive? No. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that's it. Um, uh, in, in a dark f- future Earth, humans and mutants are locked in an apocalyptic decades-long ultimately st- oh, decades-long war, ultimately stemming from the creation of the mutant nation-state on Krakoa. A series of journal notes interspersed throughout the issue provide a historical backstory. All right. <sighs> so, <laughs> both sides engaged in an arms race focused on hybridizing themselves with better technology. Humans at first relied on robotic sentinels to fight the mutants, but over time they became increasingly reliant on cybernetic upgrades, mis- mixing the best of man with machine. Eventually, a human-machine supremacy came to dominate the planet, ruled by a man-machine called Nimrod the Lesser and his sentinels. Mutants, meanwhile, developed chimeras, mutant genetically engineered by Mr. Sinister to mix and match popular abilities from other mutants. So I understand that Nimrod is a character from the Days of Future Past future. So I guess that's a bit of an Easter egg there, uh, that it it all is going to come back around seemingly that... Mutants are being hunted down by uh, really advanced sentinels. I think the idea that's being presented here is that no matter, like this Nimrod thing, this evolution of sent of of uh, sentinels is always going to happen, no matter what future we find ourselves in. Yeah, and like I, I really, I, like it makes sense to me. But the like when I read some of this stuff, like. The, the lengths that these two sides go for this war are pretty sick, right? Oh, like, the, like the the experimentation when we get into the hounds and all that kind of stuff oh, right here. Uh, for a time, <laughs> the supremacy genetically engineered hounds to hunt other mutants, like in the Days of Future Past timeline. But mm-hmm. they generally prov- uh, prove to be unreliable, often defecting back to their own kind. They, they, put, they put it in their programming to be <laughs> duplicitous. Uh, and, and then they then they do they become double agents uh for the most part and they end up on the mutant side anyway so originally the mutant side succeeded by using like a bunch of hit and run attacks but eventually this worked to be too well and they had to overtly hold captured territory there were too many mutants to simply hide so they shifted to a more aggressive militaristic stance uh 
the mutant faction even established a foothold on Mars as the war spread through the solar system. Needing more of a frontline army, they turned to Sinister, who provided breeding vats in a facility on Mars. The first generation he made were simply mass-produced clones, but taking inspiration from genetic engineering used by the Human Hounds program, the second generation of chimeras that combined the genetic templates of two to five different mutants. Uh, the third generation mixed genetic material up to five different mutants in one person, and that was highly successful. Uh, Sinister's creation managed to protect Krakoa for 30 years after their introduction. So that's like just designer genes, right? Like you just pick and choose the parts that you want. You put it all in one body, and it is what it is. Um, in circumstances only vaguely described, Mr. Sinister orchestrated the near universal death or disappearance of mutant kind's senior leaders, as he had been acting in his own self-interest from the start. Hmm, Mr. Sinister acting in his <laughs> own in his own self-interest. Uh, that's interesting. Um, soon afterwards, disaster struck the Mars base. The fourth generation of Sinister's mutants, the third Chimera generation, had an inherent flaw that led them to developing a psychic hive mind while still at the production facility. This spontaneous awakening of this hive mind unleashed massive energies that destroyed them and the Mars facility, just as Sinister had planned. This was soon followed by the fall of Krakoa. Sinister betrayed mutant kind. Uh, in order to defect to the man-machine supremacy in order uh, in return for a promised reward. But instead, they publicly executed him. <laughs> <laughs> in one fell swoop, the Sentinel uh, cyborgs essentially won the war. The present day of the X2 timeline is set 90 years after the formation of the mutant state on Krakoa, the fall of Krakoa, and the Mars disaster occurred within the past decade. Barely 10,000 mutants are still alive, all having fled to the protection of the Shi'ar Empire in space, which I thought was very interesting that they brought them in as like a refugee kind of thing that they were helping out mutants. Well, the Shi'ar are always thinking about making their army stronger. So if anything, they just brought in all the mutants to be part of the <laughs> army. Yeah. You ain't got nowhere to go, which is like the real army. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> It, it was Memorial Day weekend. A small, <laughs> a, small, a small team of eight mutants remains on the local asteroid seeded by Krakoa, dubbed Asteroid K, uh, from which they open gateway portals to Earth and launch missions against the man-machine supremacy. Earth itself has been left devastated by decades of war. The surviving mutants hold on vain hope that they can eventually convince the Shi'ar to annex Earth and be used to spearhead the invasion. A lot. That's a whole lot there. Um, <laughs> and 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 for those who haven't read the book and for and they're listening and they're like, man, that sounded so crazy. I can't wait to read that. That was all info text. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that was in something that you might skip thinking yeah. that it wasn't important because it doesn't have pictures on it. A hundred percent. And he's he's training his readers to do that, to understand that this portion of the, you know this portion of the story he's not gonna have any pictures he's gonna have to do some homework and you know a lot of that people some people don't like that but a lot of that is technical problems because like you technically only allowed 28 pages per issue and how can i per how can i relay all of this story 
and, and and how can I expect my artist to draw that? He's not getting paid to draw that. So yeah. like, it's like this is a great way to get so much more bang for your buck. You can- yeah, and as we saw sometimes with Alan Moore, too much text on a screen could be too can be a lot as well. It could be a lot. Tanahisi Coates was yep. doing doing Black Panthers. Like he was trying to do some of these exposition dumps to set things up, and they would just read like a novel on the page, and it's like that is a lot to deal with, sir. <laughs> That's a whole lot. Um, a small team of mutants led by a chimera named Rasputin number four, who is made from the genetic templates of Shadowcat, Colossus, Quentin Quire, Unis, the Untouchable, I have no idea who that is, and X-23, escape from a group of sentinels but lose two of their own in the process. Percival is killed and Silo Bell is captured. Silo Bell is taken to Nimrod, who charismatically apologizes for everything he has done before trapping her within an experimental hive mind creator and killing her. Rasputin and the remaining mutant cardinal, who is made up of genetic templates of Francis Fanny, Nightcrawler, and Rachel Summers, escape to arrive at their base through a Krakoan flower, where they are met by the only remaining mutant resistance, including the last horsemen of the apocalypse members, Wolverine as war, Cypher as famine, but it's also like Cypher and Krakoa in like one uh, north. (laughs) And it should be mentioned too, like at this point, if you don't know what the fuck is going on, it just looks like a giant group, Wolverine, Magneto, and Zorn. But there's like, you know, it's a hundred years in the future, so you know that can't be. Or at least Wolverine, right. you know, Wolverine's Wolverine. But everybody else, you're like, that's weird. So is the Magneto North? I um, I don't know as much as it, it, it could be like, he's wearing green and yeah so here it says north who is made up from the genetic template of emma frost and polaris oh so polaris would have oh okay so then that's the magneto then it's a it's a chimera yeah yeah so wolverine's the only one that's og and zorn zorn uh, um i read the grant morrison thing i thought zorn was always magneto what happened there was there always a zorn still uh how did it i hate it's been so long since I read it, and then I know the story of what it was supposed to be, and and a lot of the times it gets mixed together for me in my head. I, I feel did, like it was gonna, it, it's going to end up being like a secret invasion thing, like he just hit him over the head and put him in a closet, and so because I'm like when everything's over, they just pulled him back out. They're like, oh no, he's here, he's fine. Because no, because wasn't it supposed to be Magneto, and then they told him no. I thought it was. I thought it was. Or is it the other way around? I think it was, like the other it was way supposed around. to be something else, yeah. and then he made it Magneto because that was the fix. Yeah, it got to Magneto at the end of it. Okay, so then I think this one is absolutely something. It's 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 a different one. Yeah, because there's two though. There's another one. That's what I'm saying. I guess the real yeah. one. Yeah. Um, but, 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 but. Rasputin number four and Cardinal confirmed that their mission was not in vain, and Wolverine needed them to the old man. Now. Uh, when he says the old man, did you know who they were talking about? I had no clue. I thought I well, they, I thought well, it can't be Xavier right. unless he's like a brain in a tube. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> he's still alive, the motherfucker. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I had no clue, but I was interested. Um, and then we have year one thousand in the archive of Nimrod the Greater. A blue-skinned being known as the Librarian converses with Nimrod on the final fate of the, his hive mind experiment, which proved pointless due to the surprising fate, final fate of the war. 
He then looks at a natural preserve where two nude human figures reside, reflecting that this is important to keep a record of the great sins of history and so that they will never have dominion again. So almost like a uh, like a hamster cage of mutants, uh, even a thousand years into the future. But I think this issue, uh, issue three, the uncanny life of Moira X is what changes the game for this entire narrative. Because we I- find out. I wanted to say before we before we really moved on, I yeah, we we had a, we had that image of Sila Bell in um in the tube, yeah, a thousand years into the future, right? Yeah, because I mean, spoilers, right? We're gonna, we're already in spoiler territory. We're we're, totally. we're 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 gonna we're gonna get to a point where it's revealed that this is not a linear timeline. These are multiple timelines, right? Right. Yeah. So if that's the case. How could Sila Bell exist in the X3 timeline? You, we're, I guess we're going off of the... Cause, I mean, the only way that that would make sense is if the X3 timeline is a is a offshoot of the... No, but the X3 timeline would be the... that's I want to say the sixth life. Because that's it, the one... The, the, uh, the X2 timeline is the 100 years in the future. And that's the one where she got captured. Right, and that's where we find out that that's one of Myra's lives. But the X three, like the X three, a thousand years in the future. No, you're right. The one where she's in, the one that the one that uh, the one that gets her to this point, the point that Krakoa is established, is the ninth one, mm-hmm. and then the sixth one is the one where they're a thousand years into the future. Those are two different timelines. The timeline where she's with Apocalypse and the timeline where um, they're, they exist all the way out into the future like they do. Yeah, Sila Bell is in that too. That's crazy. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> it's, 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 does it come back to... No, does it come back to that It that never idea? comes back. No. Yeah. Something... That's a, that's a Hickman thing. That's going to come back so far into the future. You're not even going to know it was there. You're not. You're gonna have to go back, and you're gonna see it, and you're gonna be like, "Oh, she's right there. It's connected somehow." And they were establishing that whole black, like black brain. Silo Bell has one, um, so like they were, they were sprinkling in little details about all that there. Um, but the the yeah, the bigger thing to come from this is this idea that Moira McTaggart has always been a mutant. I think this changes the game completely. But as somebody who is seemingly kind of a side character in all of this, how do you feel about her upgrade? The way that they kind of took her and changed her, uh, and not only changed her, but like changed X-Men history by changing her character. Well, first of all, masterful, right? I mean, how many times can we praise the man in the same goddamn podcast? But uh, man, yeah, really, really, really awesome. <laughs> but stuff. but man, this is really like one of the big. Like they always say, like this is gonna be one of the biggest changes in the history game of Marvel. Changer. game changer. Status quo is he, broken. He dropped an actual game changing comic book. You know, the demand for this book was insane. You couldn't find yeah. this thing anywhere. Yeah. You couldn't find this thing anywhere. And you were on the front lines for that. <laughs> so you oh, could, man. You, you could uh, the, attest. The, the demand for the whole series was uh, at a... It was crazy. These books would sell out every single issue. And then never happens. It always is like, 
issue one sells out and then people are like that and they it drops it drops the audience drops as the book goes on not for this this people this was selling out every single month and it's because of twists like this once you did this so early in the damn book it's like what what else is coming and it's also like like even when you read it and it's eye-opening and jaw-dropping it's still like to what end Still, what are you trying to say? And he's still he's he's breadcrumbing the, this entire story. You're just following his breadcrumbs. You know, you're not meant to have the whole meal. That's why he splits it up, uh, you know, in so many different timelines, non-chronological order, all that kind he, of stuff. He also kind of changed the way reincarnation works here, too, because like what? <laughs> how 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 are exactly are we um, are these alternate timelines like? There's so many things to think about here. Yeah, because I always interpret it in, in reincarnation. Like, it, you know how they say sometimes you come back and become an animal. Like, like, if I die, God forbid, tomorrow, then my soul or my essence of me would then be placed in something else being born. Um, I wouldn't think that that thing that my soul gets placed in would be born in 1989 when I was born. I, th- I would think it would start when I died. You understand? So yeah, yeah. 2021, whatever. But Moira is caught in this loop. And where, she remembers all her past lives. This yep. Is- and she com- she continues to go back to the first day that she was born. Um, and But with all the knowledge of her past lives, which is funny because that kind of yada yada is her intelligence. They're just like, they're just like, oh no, she's just done all this before a million times. So she's kind of, you know, it's kind of how that happens there. Um, but yeah, they they don't really explain to you what's happening. They kind of just lay out these lives. You know, they say that um, Moira Kinross uh, lived an assuming life as a teacher with a husband and three children, and that she later died peacefully at the age of 74 from natural causes. Um, but after her death, she suddenly finds herself back in her mother's womb with all the members of her previous life. One of the funny things about this is they even make a note to be like, and I know what you're saying. A full groom, a full woman's, you know, a grown woman's mind and a baby stuck in their mother for nine months should be maddening. And it would be like I, when she said it, I was like, yeah, that should, you should go fucking crazy. She's like, oh, no, but it was like, kind of like a bliss, like a natural bliss. I'm like, yeah, yeah, pretty, <laughs> pretty good there. Like all of it would be maddening. Like when you have a diaper rash, and you, have <laughs> the, the, you, 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 you were born to be 74 years old and you have all that in your back of your mind. I'd be frustrated all the time. I just came from diaper rashes. <laughs> and we're back. We're back at it again. And you're like, no, you idiot. I'm hungry. <laughs> Give me a steak. Stop giving me these bananas. She's like baby Stewie. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, so yeah, we find out that she's actually a mutant with the ability of a resurrection. Um, while she conceals her nature as best as she can, she is nevertheless considered a prodigy and decides to become an academic in biology and psychology at Oxford to understand what she really is. After two decades of research, she uh, spots her former classmate, Charles Xavier, revealing himself as a mutant on television. This part made, made me laugh when I read it. Realizing this opportunity, she takes a flight to America that proves fatal after it crashes into the ocean. <laughs> like what <laughs> dead <laughs> they're like yeah and then you know she's motivated by charles xavier and then she goes to go see him and she dies in a plane crash and i was like okay 
Um, in her third life, Mora instead decides to focus on anthropology and genetics and seeks out Xavier while at Oxford. However, Xavier's arrogance and Moira's distaste for her own nature leads her to devote her life to creating a cure for mutation. She succeeds only for her lab to be destroyed and her colleagues to be killed by Mystique, Pyro, and Destiny. Destiny's precognitive powers allow for her to realize Mora is actually a mutant, invisible by standard mutant detection methods. She warns Mora that if she ever decides to act against mutants again, Destiny will kill her before her X gene activates at the age of 13, which will kill her permanently. She also tells... Go ahead, brother. I, I feel like Destiny doesn't understand how her powers work. Right, right. <laughs> because I don't think that would actually work that way. She developed the powers in the first life, and that yeah. was that's it. She's not going to keep developing the powers. She's it's developed. Yeah, because if she gets reincarnated or re resurrected, that takes power, right? It's not like that. All oh, that, yeah. yeah you know? Um, but this was like sick because she, she she's threatening her. She's like, if you keep trying to fight mutants. And cure mutants or whatever, we will we'll come we'll get you. <laughs> like we'll come, we're coming at you, we're watching your every move. Uh she tells uh Moira that her powers are not infinite and that she will only have 10 or 11 lives if she makes the right choice in the end. Uh seeing her her far flung future there. That also feels like I feel like the last life of Moira, like her last death, is gonna be a big thing, or She'll die in her 10th life and her 11th, the question mark, you know, whether or not, whether or not the 11th, they actually she'll be, exist. She'll, it'll all end with a baby being born and it's Moira again. Yeah, oh, <laughs> my <God. laughs> oh, my God. She becomes the lightning that strikes her. And then <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll call. Well, I, I'm calling it now. The final page of Hickman's entire X-Men run is going to be a baby and yeah. it'll be and it'll be Moira. Like, damn it. She's going to say, damn it. <laughs> Not this again. <laughs> um, Moira decides to, in her fifth life. Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry. There's something. Yes. They burned her alive. <laughs> they, they burn her alive and they burn her alive at a rate so slow that they wanted her to never forget what it felt like to die that way. And that's their threat. From that moment on, Moira is best friends with mutants. No cure. <laughs> I learned my lesson. Awesome. So in, in her fourth life, she decides to throw herself headfirst into the cause of mutant uh, human coexistence. And once again, pr- pursues Xavier at Oxford with the two becoming lovers. They go through what is implied to be you know, a pre-House of X history of the X-Men before finally being killed by the Sentinels in the days of future past like future. Uh, having become radicalized by the experience of her fourth life in her fifth, she decides to meet Xavier even earlier and convince them to create an isolated haven for mutants. Can we talk ab- I was going to say, can we talk about that fourth life for a second? Because sure, sure. That, was, that was some funny little shade. Right there at everything that came before Hickman's X Men run, yeah, because they implied like that's that's a life the where worst, she basically yeah, the worst timeline. <laughs> she basically lived like regular X Men history, yep, that led up until like Days of Future Past, basically, right. But it acknowledges the decades as like you know the the gifted years, which is the very first five, and then yeah. the, the time of eight and fear, which is the uh, gi- giant size X Men number one, and then yep. 
the lost the dark, decade. The lost decade. The lost decade. And it's a and fucking it's the Phoenix Five. It's, it's Phoenix the Phoenix Five. Five from Avengers versus X Men. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh Scott. <laughs> poor, poor Scott. It's, it's all right. That's good stuff. It's all right. It's all right. Um yeah, that I I always love when they throw it, it it's hard work to reestablish this stuff, so you get to throw shade, you know. <laughs> For sure. After everything they've been through. For Let's real. just throw that all away real quick. <laughs> um, yeah, they they in her fifth life they do create an isolated haven for mutants, but Sentinels kill them anyway. Um, we won't be the sixth life was not revealed at this time. The seventh life is probably my favorite. She becomes an assassin to kill the entire <laughs> Trask family. <laughs> like, I don't know, like Black Widow Moira McTaggart, <laughs> it's, you know, is doing something for me. And she goes around and she kills um she kills all the members of the Trask family, but this is the beginning of this is the beginning of the revelation that nothing works. Because even in so, killing all the trash, the trash family members who are supposed to be the ones that create the Sentinels, they've come to the conclusion that the Sentinels are a eventuality, an evolutionary eventuality. So long as we will continue to evolve as a species and depend on uh, machines and the uh, evolution of that technology, we will always get to some sort of death robot <laughs> that we- <laughs> That is going to pick people out based on their DNA and murder them. That's that's absolutely uh, believable and real. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's I mean, like as as believable as you know, reincarnation and immune powers and giant death robots can be. The idea that humankind just always, always, no matter what the circumstances, will always end up creating a giant racist death robot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a, a, a race of giant racist death robots. That's uh, it's very believable. They say it. He says a poignant line in there where he's like, um, uh, he describes AI as like not just being an invention, like it's a, it's a seed that gets planted. He says, and, uh, a, uh, artificial intelligence is like fire. It's yeah. A discovery, not an invention. Yeah. All yeah. she succeeded in doing was stopping a trash from being the first human to burn their hands. Yeah. But it's still yeah. coming. They still going to find that fire. That's amazing. That's great stuff. This guy, like this guy, and that's depressing too. I'm like, oh my god. Uh, so we get to her eighth life. Further radicalized, uh, Moira decides to ally with Magneto instead of the Xavier. They are both defeated by the combined forces of the Avengers and the X Men, <laughs> and Moira dies during a failed prison escape. Okay, so this is another thing I thought was fun: is that the life where she allies with Xavier all the way leads to everything he wants. And then they die. And then the yeah. life where she allies with Magneto all the way just kind of it ends the same way. So it's like neither of these guys was right. Right. And so that's what's funny. You know, the Magnet, I'll try Xavier. Xavier doesn't work. I'll try Magneto. Magneto doesn't work. You know what? Screw both of them. I'll try Apocalypse. And she tries Apocalypse. Uh, and together they go to war with mutant kind. And we'll talk about how they get there in a bit. Um, but like we just said, tried Magneto, eh, tried Xavier, eh, tried Apocalypse, eh. Well, what if we put Magneto and Xavier together? And so facing her last life and looking back at her experiences, Moira decides that in this timeline, she and Xavier will break all the rules. She meets Xavier in Oxford and tells him to read her mind, showing him all that she has done. Um, 
in the next issue, Professor X and Moira visit Magneto on his island base in Bermuda. Despite initially mistrusting him, Xavier has resolved his differences with Magneto and Magneto agrees to open his mind to them. Moira reveals her true nature to him, giving Magneto a glimpse into her previous lives. Seeing the many ways in which he has failed, Magneto agrees to Professor X and Moira's proposal, a long-term plan to guarantee the future of mutant kind. I feel like, is it, I guess it's the Thanos of it all, but that seems familiar, like showing somebody, oh no, yeah, in all the futures, it doesn't work. (laughs) That's very, I mean, that's, that what a way to break somebody out of their uh out of their path than yeah. to show them that n- n- nothing you think actually works you know like yeah and not, no one's more of a zealot than magneto he doesn't even wear regular clothes you know what I'm saying? like he just walks <laughs> around in his military garb all day and then to be told hey captain the military fight that you're fighting not only does it not work now it never does um and it, not even telling him he sees it he sees the various versions of him fail. It's got to be heartbreaking. In present day, Magneto and Xavier show Cyclops the plans of a mother mold. They believe that it, it, that it will usher in a new generation of Sentinels and the emergence of Nimrod. They order a strike on the mother mold, which is on a station orbiting the sun, and Cyclops leaves to assemble the team. As I just read that out loud, I'm starting to realize that I'm dumber than I believe. Because there's an obvious parallel to this mother mold and the weapon that the guy brought in, uh, the ambassador brought in, right? This idea that the mother mold wasn't about to activate now, and it probably wasn't going to activate anytime soon. It was a weapon that they concealed, humanity concealed, you know, uh, hoping that everything goes well. But if it doesn't, they wanted a backup. And that's very, that's hand in hand with what happened uh when those ambassadors showed up good job hickman it's almost like you know how to write a comic book or something oh. you know uh so in year 100 cardinal and rasputin the fourth re- returned successful from their mission having retrieved an indexing machine that will allow them to know the location of key machine intelligence krokoa manages to successfully decrypt the index revealing the location wolverine's war form Sorry. Wolverine's war form points out that the uh, information is useless since they would have to hold off the Sentinels in order to access the information. It's going to be a suicide mission. But Apocalypse, their leader, assures them that they will succeed as he will personally lead them. That's a bad man. Uh, So in year 1000, the librarian Nimrod have been successful in their plan in order to prove their value to the higher civilization in the universe. They create a replica world mind, which is found by the phalanx who successfully consume it and come to earth to find its creators. There's a whole thing about the phalanx, uh, you know, getting absorbed into the world mind and becoming, you know, part of the bigger, uh, this bigger, like living, breathing AI. Um, but but initially when i read it i read it that like if this thing takes over it's going to kill everything and then like in two issues they go oh don't you know when it takes over it's going to kill everything and i'm like yeah like <laughs> you didn't know that, like, what, that yeah what did you, I... <laughs> you think this was like oh no yeah we they're, they're accepting us into the into the fold well what do you think that means <laughs> you know I, I thought it was interesting that at this point you start to see how many um 
how almost all the situations in this book that we're showing involve some form of information or some form of intelligence. Like intelligence and information is a is a heavily recurring theme in both of these books. And I feel like it goes hand in hand with the idea that information in real life can kind of create this hatred and fear. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. And and another thing about this is that uh, the mutant the mutant narrative, you know, as written and for decades, has been that they are the uh, next evolutionary step when it comes to humans. But one thing I guess that was never thought of is how far machines will go past us, just a regular human. And if it has a capability to go past us, then it has the capability to go past mutant kind itself, and that becomes the the arms race how much how much living genes biological biological warfare almost you know using bodies to fight your wars versus using increasingly evolving robots and seemingly the robots always win because uh they're robots and that's how that works um so we are back yeah this the the the, the year 100 stuff is is kind of dense until we start to figure some out some stuff out but we see. Well, I, I felt like uh, we also should have. Uh, we, we we should mention in this little infographic here thing that Hickman actually tied together a lot of Marvel lore in that uh, things like the world mind, the 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 Nova's the Nova Corps world mind, or this the phalanx species that we we knew in the X Men in the um, past, the, the Kree Supreme Intelligence, the Kree Supreme Intelligence. Like instead of all these things being separate entities, like these are all just levels of the natural evolution of intelligence. Like yeah. any species could achieve any of these things if they evolved to that point. Yep, I thought I thought that was. Yeah, that 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 they evolved to a point of collapsing in on itself, but then they link together these these collapsing, you know, uh, technological societies link together to become this living, breathing, thinking, you know, um, organism. It's crazy. Um, and one of the things that I thought was interesting is as he's laying all this stuff out, he puts like a little asterisk somewhere. And it's like, oh yeah, by the way, completely afraid of the Phoenix Force. <laughs> and, I <was> like, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's a, you got to write a little back door out of that. <laughs> so now, you know, that bus is never late. <laughs> I'm just going to wait till, <laughs> wait till that comet comes streaking across the sky. Um, part five, this is what you do. Uh, we have um, at the Temple of Coordinates, the X-Men attacked the Church of Ascendancy, an uh, organization dedicated to the worship of the machines. Omega Sentinel watches from the human machine monolith and tries to convince nimrod the lesser to investigate but he refuses omega confronts the x-men and when well and where she and her squadron of sentinels gain the upper hand rasputin removes the mask of zorn's death form to unleash the black hole contained within its head killing all the remaining x-men and sentinels that was pretty metal That's i like the whole like uh but the thing is, does she warn her first? She's like, there's a black hole in here and whatever. And they're like, yeah, whatever. She's like, all right, <laughs> I'll show you. She's like, that doesn't make any sense. That, like, <laughs> watch me. <laughs> who, who wrote that? Some Scottish guy? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> a, a black hole, a singularity he has in his head. Uh, and yeah, kills all those uh, X-Men and Sentinels. 
Meanwhile, Apocalypse leads Wolverine's war uh, and Cypher's famine into a old machine data bank to find an information crystal. They are successful in finding it, but are intercepted by Nimrod. Famine opens up a portal for them to retreat and Apocalypse stays behind to buy time before escaping himself. Back in the safety of Asteroid K, War releases Mother Akaba, also known as Moira, from her status, her stasis. So, like they had, they had shown this whole uh, infographic where they showed that um, even though he's a baby face now, <laughs> Apocalypse, he still has his four horsemen of the Apocalypse, and they're all baby faces now. And there was always a mother figure in this, and the person who's taking that role in this timeline is Moira. Moira. Um, and then, yeah, they so they have this information crystal. It, I was gonna say there was one thing I didn't like was that how the hell did Apocalypse get his ass whipped by by robots? <laughs> yeah, they did like the whole hold the door thing where he's like standing there just getting chopped up, and uh, they run. What what about like the whole like oh yeah, this is an information stick. Just put it in your chest hole. Here's your <laughs> just, just open your chest hole. Put this. Stick this thing in there. I think I thought it was cool to see like apocalypse Mara. Like she's like blue with like apocalypse lips. So if you're gonna stick a diamond in her chest, I, I guess. You know it's also incredible. Like the X-Men have a long lineage of extremely pivotal and important and powerful women. You know, women characters. And Moira is now shaping up to be an integral part in all of this, um, in a way. I never would have thought so it's it's cool that she joins the ranks of some of the bigger uh game changers that all kind of so sort of happens to be female in this um I wonder if that's intentional as well uh but yeah yep she he gives her the crystal um no but this is the moment where I'm like wait oh oh so wait she's gonna get the information from nimrod like i'm putting my home my, i'm yeah. putting it together myself yeah. I'm like wait so she's gonna get the information and he's gonna kill her and then they have the information for nimrod in the present i was getting all too hyped for this i'm connecting my own dots it hickman does uh comics like breaking bad where it he lays out the very easy puzzle for you to figure out and then congratulates you when you put it together <laughs> And it makes me feel good. After he puts it together for you. Yeah, it makes me feel good. I'm like, oh, it's a horse. And when you put the puzzle pieces together, I'm like, oh, I can see what it is now. It's a horse. He's like, yes, it's been a horse from the very beginning. (laughs) It always was a horse. Um, But yeah, uh, this is her ninth life. They have now killed her. Now she has the information to stop all of that. Um, in issue six, one more unto the breach, Cyclops informs Professor X and Magneto that he has assembled a team, Wolverine, Husk, Archangel, Jean Grey, uh, Nightcrawler, and Mystique in order to attack the Mother Mold facility orbiting the sun. After the, after the meeting, they embark on the mission. In the superhero prison known as Project Achilles, this was a pretty cool scene. This is, I could totally see this being a movie scene too. A trial is being held for Sabretooth. The trial is interrupted by Emma Frost, who presents the judge with a pardon from the U.S. Supreme Court as the U.S. government has agreed to a general amnesty for all mutants on American soil in anticipation of Krakoa becoming a sovereign nation. Despite the protests of the human officials at the court, Emma and Sabretooth are allowed to walk free and return to Krakoa. 
Um, for those not uh, familiar with <laughs> those kind of laws and jurisdictions, you may remember watching The Dark Knight, in which uh, <laughs> a Chinese man broke a bunch of laws and then ran back to China because <laughs> it was Chinese government's job to you know arrest him and see him through. Uh, not ours, but Batman broke a bunch of laws and went and <laughs> arrested that man anyway. But uh, yeah, teach his own. On the Orcus Forge, where the mother mold is being constructed, the human scientists detect that the X-Men are inbound. Nightcrawler is sent in for recon and encounters the chief scientist and Omega Sentinel. Omega Sentinel deduces that the X-Men plan to attack the control collars in order to send the mother mold hurling into the sun. The X-Men dock onto the station and attempt entry. The chief of security, Erasmus, sets off a bomb and kills himself while destroying the X-Men's vessel. I wanted to ask you, are you at all surprised of mankind's response to the idea that they're going to be gone in about 12 years? No, no, especially if you don't explain it to them. They think (laughs) they're going to die or whatever. Right. This, they, <laughs> oh, they're going to get replaced. Like, no, you're not actually going to get replaced. Like, there'll just be more of them than you. And I don't know if that makes you comfortable or whatever, but that doesn't mean you're going to actually die. But what if they impose their will on us? And it's always a what if. It's always that fear. That's always a problem. And it's it's like when when they uncovered the whole plan for this, this mother molt, it it was a reminder to me that like, like this is, we were just talking about them constantly asking for permission um, and being nice and stuff. Like this is exactly that, right? They just found <laughs> a secret, a secret mutant killing factory. Uh, they can't trust humanity for nothing. As soon as was, they, go ahead, brother. I was just, I also thought it was cool that Hickman, uh, he kind of did this. <laughs> we kind of created this little tiny little arc here with this character that he created. I don't know where this Human who kills himself and his wife, who's now needs to get revenge for him. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It pays off too. It's just and, a tiny little loop, and, yeah. and that's what I'm saying. She, if I'm not mistaken, is the one that actually wrote the paper on the extinction of the eventual extinction, the the Cro Magnum problem, I believe is what it was called. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's the one who actually starts the legislation for that stuff. I may have missed the. Um, I may have missed the diagram for it, but I thought that was one of the most interesting parts. Was like the uh human um evolution to project not project achilles but um orcus like this idea like oh we just started to observe them at first you know we just like paying attention to them and then all the scientists and stuff started to come together and then we did the math and then we're like nah fuck that we're gonna (laughs) we're we're putting up a, a resistance um we we saw how mutant kind was backed into a corner and how it had to then innovate to make sure that it didn't become any less than the dominant species and seeing mankind grasp at that um, and become that cornered animal. Now this woman is literally on this uh, space station. (laughs) Her husband is dead all in, all in the spirit of making humanity the uh, top of the food chain again. So on Krakoa, I believe I did that part already. Oh yeah, the collars. Uh, Just to be sure, like he blew himself up and took out like a bunch of like he took out X Men though. <laughs> yeah, like, he took X Men out. Yeah, <laughs> like, and, it, and it and it only gets worse. It, this whole mission is is 
ridiculous. Oh man, this is like this. This what we're about to get into now is amazing. And and <laughs> and you you you're sitting and you're going, this can't be. <laughs> this this can't be this way yeah, as it what, unfolds. What is this? What are we reading? Like what what alternate timeline? What what multiverse shit is this? This can't be. This and, is the beginning of the of the very long turn that what that eventually have you facing the beginning of the story again. Um, and the series kind of folds into itself in a, in a very cool way. And all the stuff that is left behind the stuff, like the future stuff or whatever, the prophecies, the sinister secrets, all that kind of stuff is all breadcrumbs for the future, which is like for someone to have that, it's, it's refreshing for someone to have that kind of foresight. We sometimes get a, a banger of a movie and then the sequel's absolute garbage. It's like, you didn't even think about past this. Like you had no plans for past this. And the fact that Hickman is always thinking about the future um, is refreshing because then these things do felt, feel well thought out. Um, so on Krakoa, Professor X and Magneto contact Marvel Girl to monitor the situation. Gene reveals that th- that's the whole thing. Like, at the time, Xavier and Magneto kind of chill. They're like, let's just let's just call in and see how these guys are doing. Hey, Gene. And Gene's like, everyone's fucking dead. They're all dying. We're all fucking dying. It's all going to shit. Oh, God. Oh, God. We're all dead. <laughs> and so she's like, Archangel, uh, Archangel is killed. Husk is killed. Um, Wolverine and Nightcrawler are injured. Nightcrawler is doing his best. Uh, Barry Allen from Zack Snyder holding his side. I'm good. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. I'm, I'm good. Nightcrawler. Uh, Wolverine's t- fucking nasty. He's he, fucking. His arm is like, chewed up. Ugh. It just sounds like a, a adamantium stump, I guess. Uh, but they, they they sit there and they're like, what, what the hell is going to happen? We, we can't do this mission. We'll all die. And it's decided. Maybe that's what they got to do. Because it's Scott. It's Scott. It's always Scott. Yes, yeah. we have to finish it. Or it's all for nothing. Yeah. Um, it's something along the lines of like, uh, if you need it done, then it will be done or something like that. Like he he said that very early on. He's like we talk about perfect personifications of certain characters. This story needs Cyclops exactly like this, if that makes any sense. We played around with the dictator Cyclops, but Cyclops is one of the best soldiers that the Marvel universe has. So you keep him as a soldier, like the point man on the team. I, I like that Cyclops, the one that has to lead everyone, that one that's like, if you know, it is what it is, like by any means necessary, let's get this mission done. This for our people. Uh, it's re- uh, really a badass version of that character because the movies don't do him <laughs> any justice. I never really had a problem with the idea that his, um, his line of thinking took him to a place where he became just like Magneto. Like, because in reality, there was no other choice, man. They've been through yeah. so much. They've yeah. been through so freaking much. It is just refreshing, though, to see him back at full Cyclopsness. You know, like he does he feels like a badass soldier, you know? He feels like the Jason Bourne in the on the on the squad, and he's the one that's gonna make sure everybody is uh in line, but this is looking dire. Um Nightcrawler teleports Cyclops, Wolverine, and Mystique into strategic locations in order to destroy the control collars, with Nightcrawler himself taking the last one, while Gene and M stay on the ship in order to maintain the connection to Krakoa. Uh, Wolverine and Nightcrawler are successful in destroying the collars, but the ship is boarded by Orcus forces. Monet ensures Gene leaves in an escape pod while remaining on board to cover her escape. 
She transforms into her penance form. I have no idea who this X-Men is, by the way. She transforms into her Monet? penance form. Yeah, I'm not familiar with Monet. You know anything uh, about yeah, what she's you from got? X-Factor. She's uh oh fuck. <laughs> she's, she's telepath. No, it's a little it there's a little more to her than that, but I it, it's a bit complicated. Just <laughs> she's gonna die. She's yes, gonna I was die. Like she won't be here long. Uh so yeah, she um she goes into her penance form and begins to fight the humans. Cyclops finds and disengages his control collar, but Mystique is intercepted as she finds hers and they they like trap door her. They just they just press like a button. And Mystique gets sucked off into the vacuum of space. And I go, what the fuck am I reading? What's going on here? She's well, just fucking dead. Well, She's dead. <laughs> well, there goes Raven. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, they open her airlock and she just goes out there. Desperate, the humans activate the mother mode. That's another thing. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, you bastards. It's <laughs> it's cool because it's the lady who lost her husband and who wrote this paper. It's oh not God. like some random humans. Like she's been giving a purpose to hate them now. You know, like yeah. I'm here with the vengeance. She didn't exist before the story, but it's pretty cool to see that. No, and the thing is, odds are she's going to, you know, depending on what how everything happens, like this mankind's not going to forget about this. You know, or forget about her her writings and and all her research leading it up to this. Um, yeah, desperate to desperate, the humans activate the mother mode, not knowing whether or not it will be insane, uh, which was weird for me because I'm like, it, it, nothing ends up coming of it, but I wonder if something will eventually. Um, X tells them to do, uh, Professor X tells them to do whatever it takes to stop it. He basically well, told them to die though, because yeah. she, she's like, she's begging him for a answer, and she's like, What do we do? You know, what do we do? Did and he know about this, about this like regeneration stuff at no, this time? No, the X Men didn't know about that. Professor did X, know, did he know? Okay, oh, he knew. He, him, okay. him, there's a certain hierarchy here in regards to information, and who knows what. You're right. Do you think that he was asking them to give their lives knowing that he could give it back? Yeah, but it's also weird because, like, how does that really work? Like, because if I die, yeah, like, I, I, my consciousness died. Like, this version of me is dead. A reborn version of me has all the same memories, and and for everyone else that's alive, it's you. But like, you're dead. But it, it's yeah, it's very weird because it's to you're not to trans all, for all intents and purposes. It's not you. It's, but, it's like a husk, you- it's a husk getting put with the. The mind of you it's very weird it's like a and xerox it's not copy. even your mind it's a copy yeah it's a xerox copy it's very very freaking weird very weird uh so i thought this was amazing though because he tells them you know do what you have to do and then gene's like well did you get that scott and scott is like in fucking bane like yeah you know what i got it and he doesn't want to do it but he really doesn't want to do this <laughs> they yeah. don't want to do this yeah <laughs> but they feel like you know, if the professor says we have to do it, then, you know, there ain't no other way to do it. Right. And then you just get the absolute best uh, fucking final scenes for all these characters. Like Hickman wrote this, like, we're never going to see them again. Can you go ahead and uh, read oh, those things for me? Oh, man. This, uh, Recap those things? The, the first thing we see is Scott. He's like, like I said, he's pained about making this decision against a window in the master mold. And he just kind of. Uh, he's like, you know, go and Wolverine and Wolverine and Nightcrawler, who've been friends over X Men history all this time, 
they just have this final conversation with each other. And it's like, you know, are you ready to die? You know, are you ready? And Wolverine's just like, you know, I got to ask, uh, you still think there's something waiting for us on the other side? You know, Nightcrawler's playing with him. He's like, you know, worried about your soul, Logan? He's like, well, I'm just wondering what someone like me should expect. And Nightcrawler tells him, you know, when, when you wake from this earthly slumber, my friend, look for me. I'll be there waiting for you with, with radiant with open arms. And he fucking poofs into the sun to put Wolverine where he needs to be. And he disintegrates. You just see his skin fly off of him. He fucking, he fucking dies instantly. And Wolverine doesn't die instantly, but he's disintegrating rapidly. And, and, and the fucking master mode, mother mode, uh, whatever the fuck. (laughs) The mother mode. (laughs) The mother mode is just like talking shit the whole time. And Wolverine is killing it. It's just stabbing it. as they both fall into the sun and they both die. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And then Scott, Scott just gets his ass shot in the back by the angry, uh, angry white widower. Yeah, you know, she she shoots him right in his face and blows his fucking <laughs> skull. This is sick, yeah, right? The whole thing was uh, it said something about like, oh, you don't have to kill them or something like that. Whatever. And she was like, oh, she was like, he was like, it's over or something. And she's like, he's like, he says, he's like, uh, what, what does he say? He says, it does, capturing me means nothing. And she's like, capture you? My husband's dead, you son of a bitch. I'm not taking prisoners <laughs> today. And she shoots him in his face. Yep. And the whole thing just pays off with the death of Cyclops. Yep. That was amazing. As Gene watches psychically. You know? yep. And then she also dies. Uh, yeah. She dies pretty badly, actually. The, the, the Sentinels just kind of killed her. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm like, what did I just see? Professor X is in pain too. He's crying the whole time. No more. <laughs> to, to be honest, this entire story has been about this repeated, this re- like war on all fronts, war on all fronts, war in all timelines against all kinds of forces, and it all is just so bleak because it ends seemingly the same way over and over and over and, again. And I love that. I love that. I love the final line of the book. You know, every victory, Ash, every triumph, defeat. They've murdered so many of us. The world has grown used to it. But this yeah. is just how things are for those people, for mutants. No more. This is no more. And then we get one giant page dedicated to two words. No more. With yeah. with like all like newspaper clippings of all the things that have ever happened. Like to, the uh, Osha and decimation. Uh, all these like, all these things that they kind of just let go past. And it comes back to like you know um in real life sometimes these terms get created. And they're like a bad thing for a group of people. And sometimes we can take these terms back and make them into a good thing. No more mutants was one of the worst things that ever happened to the mutant to, to mutants. And to yeah. be to take no more and turn that into like the the the, the, the rallying the cry. Ba- to, yeah, the battle cry. Yeah, I didn't even what, think about that. That's that's just amazing. Got to take it back, you know. I take love back it. The power. I love it. Uh, we see uh, in um, part eight something sinister. It, uh, Professor X and Magneto head to the Isle of Bar Sinister to meet with Mr. Sinister's assistant to build a database of mutant DNA. He declines, but is promptly killed by another Mr. Sinister clone with the mutant gene. That version readily agrees and ha- helps uh, Xavier. What already agrees to help Xavier, then wipes the memory of their meeting from Mr. Sinister's mind. Um, yeah, this starts, I guess, this whole line of Mr. Sinister as a mutant, because I don't remember him being a mutant. 
uh, this variant took his powers from, I want to say, Jonathan Proudstar. He, he's, I mean, he's been, his thing was more like in the beginning, he discovered like, uh, yeah, did he meet Apocalypse? He met Apocalypse. He got his powers from Apocalypse. Apocalypse awoke, awoke yeah. something in him, or he gave him powers. That's always been like the question: Did he, was he always a mutant, or did Apocalypse give him powers? And I guess okay. the idea now is like, no, he was a mutant, and Apocalypse awoke something inside of him. Okay, um, because yeah, the the one that the Sinister that's going to agree to help him is a Sinister that has uh, proud uh, Thunderbird. Jonathan Proudstar's um, stuff, and the only thing I know about him was that he died in the first, <laughs> like the first X Men mission, <laughs> on a plane. So that that was not that great. Um, several months ago, uh, Xavier and Cipher traveled to the sentient island of Krakoa. Xavier brought Cipher deep into the island to meet the entity of Krakoa, and Cipher then conversed with Krakoa as he learned its language and some of its history. He revealed that Krakoa was once one island, Akara, that was split between two islands named Akaro and Krakoa by the arrival of an enemy. Uh, th- there's a panel there that looks like a sword shooting up through the ground. Um, I thought that that was no, but that, that seems to give way too much power to no. <laughs> it's uh, not. It's not at all. If anything, it's closer to uh, Searcher's sword, or at least a name, but it doesn't look like that either. So, right. uh, so do you think just, that that's a sign of things to come? It's probably some primordial weapon that they'll that that uh, Apocalypse will bring back up later on. Like, hey, hey I had these hidden under Krakoa all <laughs> this time. time. This is a sick. This is really sick. This idea that uh, first of all, that Krakoa is not the only one. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's gone now, supposedly. Okay. A Akara, Akara, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, that's the main island. Then it that got split into Arako okay. and Krakoa. Yeah, Arako is not just introduced for no reason. You know, that'll come back. I would love yeah. to see an island versus island fight. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. That's what I'm talking about. Tribal chiefs, get them together. <laughs> uh, we find out that this enemy that, that cracked the islands into two sought to destroy the world and was stopped by the arrival of my boy Apocalypse and his four horsemen. He's very young, too. Chilling. Uh, not, not a day over 300. <laughs> l- l- later, Professor X telepathically revealed his plans to Cypher. He tasked Cypher with building an interface system on Krakoa to allow the mutants to communicate with the island, and Cypher successfully creates a program that allows the mutants to interact with the island without his help. Additionally, Cypher helps create four systems, transit and monitoring, defense and observation, secondary and external systems, and overwatch and data analysis controlled by Sage, Black Tom Cassidy, Trinary, and Beast. There are rumors, too, that Forge built a a large subterranean laboratory to help build biological machines as well. And that's something that we get confirmation of, right? That's where Mora's hanging. Some sort of subterranean laboratory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're, they're saying that there's a, there's a rumor there. I'm assuming that they just don't want Mora found, right? Like that's her whole big thing, right? Like she, I think she's just she away. Like I can't die yet, no matter what. If this is my right, 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 right. yeah, she's like if, in case of emergency, break glass. Like we're keeping her. Because if 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 she doesn't know if it's ten or eleven, right? 
So she she does she she doesn't know if it's a lie either. So she's just like, I can't die. Yeah, don't. It's not worth taking that chance. Yeah. Uh, then year one thousand, the librarian offers himself to the phalanx. Uh, the group says that they the phalanx is only going to absorb machine intelligence they find useful. So we wait for the answer to find out whether or not they're useful. Uh, on Krakoa, Professor X, Magneto, Storm, and Polaris assemble and are joined by five other mutants: Ava Bell, Proteus. Hope Summers, Elixir, and Egg. These guys are going to be known as the Five because they have the ability to revive deceased mutants. These five. See, I think another uh, something that's really interesting here is that mm-hmm. I want to say all of these characters were created in that lost decade. Okay. Of X Men, of of X Men stories. Yeah, I was I was very confused. I know of Hope Summers. Proteus, I've heard of before. Um, I don't. Oh, well, not I... Proteus. Proteus is a Proteus is older, but yeah, his he's, connection, a, he's a older. His older connection race. is to uh, Moira. Yeah, Moira McTaggart is her son. You know? Yeah, I remember going over that stuff when I was dealing with like Legion stuff and uh, Madrox stuff. Um, that came up the whole Proteus of it all. Um, but yeah, it turns out that with these five, they're able to. You know, one makes the eggs. Proteus um, makes. Uh, you know, puts like I think the mind in the DNA is injected into the eggs and elixir initiates cellular replication while Ava Bell uses her power to accelerate the growth. Um, Hope uses her powers to help the others operate at their peak and in unison, allowing them to revive any deceased mutants. Magneto further explains that Xavier has been using Cerebro to copy the minds of any mutant found so he can put their mind back into these empty shells as needed. X watches over several beings emerging from the eggs. To me, my X-Men, he says, as they crawl towards him, he places Cyclops' visor on him and watches as the group stands, thanking them all. And this is all the first uh, events we read in this comic when it all starts. It is literally they put the first two pages in there again. I was going to ask because um, we... What? Why do you think he keeps it on? Is it a power thing? Like it's a like literally like he's powering it. He needs to power. He needs to be on with Cerebro on all the time. What do you think is the deal with this portable Cerebro? I was worried that it was like he was hiding something, but I don't yeah. think that's the case. I think I don't think that's the case at all. Um, so it it could just be an image symbol thing. Yeah. But I'm honestly not sure at this point. I don't. I don't have a clue yet. I'm not sure. And I, if somebody's like you know read, read past and swords or uh, dawn of X and and knows, they might be screaming the answer at us right now. But I I do feel like that there's a reason that's gonna it's gonna be pretty big. Whether it's that he needs to keep it on to keep everyone alive. Like what if he you know what I'm saying? Like what if he takes it off and all of a sudden all the resurrected people just drop. Or something like I there I there's something tied to him keeping that thing on, and we find out later it has like incredible Shi'ar technology in it. So like it, I feel like that whole thing is dangerous. It feels like he's walking around with a microwave on his head. I'm very scared for that man. Uh, Storm brings the five and the revived mutants out, proudly announcing that the five has allowed the nation of Krakoa to defeat death. She then introduces the revived mutants individually to the assembled crowd, assuring the crowd that they are mutants that they've known. What do you think about this whole ceremony? 
Oh man. She's your brother. She I mean, she's your sister. That she's was amazing. <laughs> All this stuff is amazing. Seeing mutant kind come together like this, seeing a, a race, a group of ostracized people come together like that, and that sort of it just like we're 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 not even conforming to the way they live their life anymore. Yeah. Like fuck fuck every sense of normalcy like why have we ever even tried to fit within their box we exist in this way and we're so proud of it and let's go have a freaking orgy fest <laughs> they're about to <laughs> what's incredible as well is that like we find out through this ability to resurrect death and i, I you know it's going to be laid out later on but this idea that they are basically trying to reverse the math the mass deaths that occurred within mutant kind that thought just sounds crazy right like if if a jewish scientist came out and was like hey guys not for nothing but i know how to resurrect any jewish person killed during the holocaust is like yeah they kind of deserve to have that power to do so but that opens up a whole can of worms um I, I totally see the merit of like you guys have done nothing but dwindle our numbers. So we're going to, you know, get them back. But that's the thing here. They don't care. I no, don't. They don't. I don't, I don't. There's no more reason to care about the merit that was created by these people over here. Yeah. I, I, we create our own merit now. Is yeah. it something that's going to be good for us? Then we're doing it. That's, yeah. all, that's it. And if they don't like it, We'll go to war. Avengers, they never helped us. Yeah. That, I mean, that and that that calls all the way back to the, that comic. Remember Cyclops standing up and being like, y'all better never. <laughs> don't <laughs> you a, ever. Don't you ever. Never, ever. Never, ever. <laughs> they were like, yeah, like everything that happens to us, everybody turns a blind eye. Everything that happens to the decimation of this, of our kind, no one pays attention to. And then when we go do something, everybody wants to get on a case about it. Screw yeah. I totally get that. Uh, so uh, Xavier and Magneto watch the events from afar and discuss what remains unfinished. They discuss the upcoming United Nations vote on Krakoa's inclusion into the organization. Magneto asks if Charles is worried, but Xavier simply says that today he's filled with hope. The revived mutants enter the crowd as Storm calls them the heroes of Krakoa. At the UN headquarters, X-Beast and Emma Frost celebrate with other ambassadors for gaining sorry, recognition of Krakoa as a nation. X and Emma telepathically discuss the events as Emma hints she's manipulated the Russian ambassador to abstain from the vote. X thanks her for her work and promises that he has bold plans for her in the future. I love that. Like, I think that, um, I think that they're talking to other people. Like, I think that they're having small talk with other people, but also mind talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> so it's like, that's some sneak tip. And I don't know what it is. A lot of characters, a lot of like, I, the more I read her, the more I love Emma Frost. That character is so cool, and Hickman writes her in a very cool way. Um, she feel like at one point she she outwagers uh, Professor X and Magneto. You know, it's cool to see her on that level with them. But again, powerful women X Men. They they seem to have them in spades. 
informational pages reveal that over 100 com- countries accepted a trade deal with Krakoa and that several others are still negotiating trade deals. The most interesting to me when I was reading it is, uh, or the easiest one to figure out is Madripoor. Madripoor <laughs> is like, nah. <laughs> because if Madripoor gets drugs that heal everything and all that kind of stuff, all their black market shit's out the window. Yep. You know, so they're like, so they're like yeah, nah, we're not, no, uh-uh. we're not doing none of that over here. Um, <laughs> North Korea, Latveria, Iran, Br- Russia, Brazil, Honduras, and uh, Wakanda rejected uh, the trade deal, saying they w- don't want. Oh, Wakanda I like Wakanda. Like, we don't, we don't need it. <laughs> That's what they basically. <laughs> We don't need your drugs. Don't push that shit over here. <laughs> he said, keep it pushing. Don't push them drugs over here. Um, two days after the UN vote, Xavier, Magneto, and Wolverine wait at several portals. Wolverine expresses his misgivings about the upcoming event, but Xavier and Magneto assure him all will be all right. Soon after, several villainous mutants, including Mr. Sinister, Sebastian Shaw, Exodus, Celine, and Apocalypse arrive through the portals. Apocalypse expresses satisfaction at arriving, and Krakoa, uh, and Krakoa responds in the same way. Oh, because they're old friends. I was going to say about the UN vote. Like, I feel like that's another thing that's going to come around. Yeah. Later on. Oh, that she, she that she did the thing with the uh, Russian. She manipulated like people for the vote to to go the way the mutants needed it to go. Uh, Pro- Professor X kind of comes to her and he's like, listen, I didn't know. Uh, I don't know what you did. I didn't do you, anything. I don't know, but it. I'm just saying, I don't, I, I don't know why you did <laughs> I didn't do anything. I know, but, I know uh, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I appreciate what you didn't do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she's like, she's, he's like, I didn't do anything. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I would love if it turns out that she actually didn't. <laughs> she's like, I have no idea what he's talking it about. It was somebody else. Like, did we, did we uh, uh, blast past the, the, the discussion? Like where, where, um, they want her to push the stuff through the Hellfire Club. No, that's basically this right here. It's this, okay. um, or um, <clears throat> because no, because this is the first time we've spoken to her in this book, okay. and it's about the vote. Because like, I know, I know that one of the things that she requested was an additional seat because they they told her that they're bringing Sat- Sebastian Shaw back. Remember. Yeah, so the first thing that happens is this conversation, thanking her and then telling her, like, you know, I have plants. And then we introduce right now, we're going to introduce all the people that they've enlisted that Wolverine is like, I don't know what you're thinking right now, but these are people we fought against in our whole history. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about those guys breaching uh, the hall apocalypse and all of them there? Is everyone who's walked through someone, you know, you can trust through and through? You you can't really trust. I mean, we know there's timelines where Sinister turns on them. And, and, yeah. You know, and he's here. Um, but we also know that they know that. You know, like they know that they know what's up. And yeah. and to see actually, so what happens is Professor. I I keep calling him Professor, but he's just Xavier now. Yeah. Xavier invites basically all these people into positions of power on Krakoa, not even just to live there. He's inviting them into positions of power, including apocalypse. When they, when they invited apocalypse, I, that was beautiful because he comes in here and they're just like, you know, if you decide to do something, you know, we're going to fuck you up. And he's like, D- 
decide to do something. I've been waiting on you to be on this tip the whole my time. My beautiful children. Like, oh, my God. This is yeah. amazing. I love this. Yeah, it I was like it. he found out his. It was like he found out that his two friends were also friends. <laughs> his actual quote is like for centuries i have fostered war and conflict all in the hopes of mutantdom finally asserting dominance over this world now look at you now look at all of you see that in one way that makes me feel like wow that's really cool but in another way that's saying that these they're too far gone because yeah. they've they've now like apocalypse is proud of you <laughs> almost impressed Almost like, like wow. I, I would. I didn't even think about that. Like you guys are doing. He's some like, you dudes, stuff. Are, you dudes are worse than me. No, I'm but the that. welcome home scene that was just that was that was beautiful yeah. for apocalypse. You know, welcome home. This is what you wanted. Uh, Krakow is for all mutants. They, you know? They're also giving an incredible reverence to apocalypse as a character. He's somebody who has been sprinkled throughout this entire um you know story up until this point. We've seen him work in the past. For Mutantum, we see him work in the future with Moira, and now he'll be here in the present. A uh, lot of respect for that character uh, Hickman's giving, and he's really um, respecting his place in the X Men lore. I um I should mention like when we read uh, is it House of X as Pepe Larraz? Yeah, and then we jump to Powers of X. This is like the other guy, RB Silver. Like Pepe Larraz is so much better. Than RV Silver. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> like, oh my God, it's not even comparable. Like, Jesus. Uh, the the especially right now. Like, I don't even know who the. I don't even. I actually don't even think this is RV Silver. Who's about to? Do? <laughs> We're about to jump from one scene, like the scene, the welcome home scene where Apocalypse and Xavier because shake each other's hands and it's beautiful, to the scene where Xavier tells Forge he needs to upgrade Cerebro. Oh, by the way, we need to talk for a quick second. Yeah. Um, yeah, that all, there was a bit of a jarring art change <laughs> there. But yeah, Forge can build anything and Xavier is basically like, I need a new Cerebro. But uh, the main thing that he wants to do is not only hold uh, the, I guess the consciousness or copies of Newton's minds in his head, but he wants several backups for them, four or five different backups for them, and then one that only he knows about or something like that. It's like something ridiculous. None of this could be right. Like none of this could be good. The fact that the entire identity of mutant mutantdom is in this man's helmet. What's gonna happen is that we've already set up the fact. Like I'm, I'm, I'm spitballing here. Maybe they started hinting towards this in the books already, but it's become apparent to me that the same way intelligence, when gathered together, can become something evolved. All of this intelligence gathered within Cerebro or Cerebra may just create a new supreme mutant intelligence or a world mind or one new level of intelligence because gathering all this intelligence in one place we've been told through the info charts or through the info pages that 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 those that's how you create a new level of sentience yeah and now Xavier's done this not on purpose but he's just gathered this to be able to use for a different reason but that's what he's done by accident it's not gonna it's gonna come to pass and something bad's gonna happen or maybe something good I don't no know. I mean you, you, what you're saying is 100% right they've already laid the narrative to say that um through evolution through ascension you al almost always sacrifice a level of humanity 
in that in that attempt to evolve um you you've seen like the the future in the year a thousand they're emotionless beings they know everything see everything but they collapse in on themselves so is xavier going to be that that black that black hole that dying star um uh yeah so yeah he basically gets them to build that thing with shiar technology uh xavier and magneto meet with emma frost in the louvre to order to recruit the hellfire corporation to aid in the establishment of krakoa this is what i was talking about uh emma believes the idea of establishing another mutant non-state is a recipe for disaster but she is ultimately convinced by seeing krakoa firsthand Xavier explains that they need the Hellfire's Club's help in distributing Krakoa's exclusive drugs to the rest of the world, which Emma co- compares to being the East India trading company <laughs> of Mutandom, which I like. <laughs> I just loved her reaction yeah. to having to bring back Sebastian Shaw. She was not happy about that, but in doing so, she says that she wants another seat on the council. Um, the infographic says that there's a Red Queen coming. Is that what it is? Yeah, it wasn't the Red Queen, Kitty Jean Bride. Gray. Oh, it's Kitty Pride. Well, that's uh, I guess spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. Uh, My bad. But um, yeah, we're led to believe there's a lot of um redacted information that we get in some of these other infographics in the future, especially when we get to like uh, Moira's diary and stuff like that. Um, they're they're taking a lot of the stuff out to to have us be inquisitive as to what. Like you're giving us so much information, so why won't you if, give us that? If you like, think of the red, what are you hiding? I think the thing about the red queen was that uh, Madeline Pryor is somebody who used that name before, right? So, yeah, that it, I guess that's who I was, uh, yeah, immediately that's who they would want you to think of, yeah. And but keeping it redacted means that there's something more there. It was also in, um, you know, Madeline Pryor's. Return was hinted in, in in my favorite part of this comic was that whole sinister secrets thing. It was, it really felt like a gossip column. That <laughs> was so good. It felt like a gossip column, uh, you know, of like TMZ, like, hey, uh, guess who's doing what? <laughs> and guess who's wearing <laughs> what? I can't say who it is, but somebody's about to show up. <laughs> what are you doing, sinister? Sassy, sassy. Um. Uh. Yeah. So. Xavier offers Emma C. Uncle's council along with Sebastian Shaw so he can run the black book operations in the countries. I also love that they're like, yeah, we just want him to do like the illegal shit. Like we, we want you on board to sell it to the, com- to the countries that want, want to do it. Uh, but also we're going to use him to sell it to the people that kind of don't. <laughs> like anyway, uh, which again, something I don't think the old Xavier would have done. Um. Emma accepts under one condition. She will need an additional seat on the council. Later, Xavier sends a telepathic message worldwide. This was a big moment. He sends a telepathic message worldwide, summoning all the mutants to Krakoa. The only one showing shown rejecting it is Namor, who claims that Xavier doesn't truly believe that he is superior to the rest of the hum- of humanity and tells him to come back when he really means it. I like this as well because uh, Hickman got to write for Namor before. Like <laughs> I got to read him right for Namor before um it is is he I, I know that's one of his defining traits is Namor being too arrogant here I don't know that Namor is being too arrogant he might actually be entirely correct yeah. <laughs> about yeah. what he's saying uh the message to the world though 
That's good stuff, bro. That changed the game. And they spoke about it. They said like, if we do this now, we can't go back. Once we once we do this, once we give this initiative, you know, there's there's no going back. Um, and that the idea that you could emotionally, mentally pardon some of the very worst mutants in the world so so long as to come together. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I'm down. Super. There's no more. There's no like if, to do something as radical as what they're trying to do for the sake of just keeping your species alive because nothing else has worked. Yeah. There's Rather no time than, for there's no time to meddle in the grave with that. There's no time to sit down and, and wonder and worry and hope for you bring it all together as one. Okay. Yeah. We'll work from there because once we went as one. We can't be stopped, man. Like, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, all of us. Like, we should stop. <laughs> yeah, we should stop. Uh, I, I'm just. <laughs> I mean, listen. If the message is there, man. As one, you can't stop us. If we would just get over, if if if, if like they're doing right now on Krakoa, yeah, just get over. Just forget it for a second, because we've got a bigger problem. Like, we're hey, can I get one of those islands? Die. Yeah, can I get one of those islands like, real quick? <laughs> we're all going to die, okay, as a species. Damn it. Get on the same page. This woman right here lived 10 separate lives in which every fucking combination of action was tried and failed. This yeah. is the only one left. Come yeah. together as one. Yeah. And that's going to rub against some people wrong, uh, especially in the Marvel universe. But um, right now, it, I'm not, I don't really see any problem with it. I can see how it will develop into a problem. I, I, as a stickler for continuity, like I wonder where this moment sits in other people's stories. Like I wonder if anybody else is anyone outside of the X Men universe is referencing this moment when the X Men have established themselves as a sovereign nation. I, I think uh, in Jason Aaron's Avengers right now, where they're dealing with the Phoenix, they have um, they have dealt they have. Uh, they have dealt with Hickman's Avengers. I know I saw a cool uh, out of context panel where kind of Emma Frost shows Carol Danvers in her mind, the dead bodies in Genosha. Oh she's like, where were you? Okay. So like yeah, that, that, yeah. that, that's that happened. I just haven't read that Avengers. Awesome. Ugh, I can't wait to get into like all of this. <laughs> like, I can't wait to get into the sprawled out universe that he's created with this. Um, but yeah, that was a, it was an incredibly huge moment. Um, in the future, the phalanx accept the librarian's offer, uh, and destroy his group's leader. And, um, the librarian asks Nimrod why they did this. And Nimrod's like, oh yeah, uh, they are probably just a huge, massive intelligence hosted in a network of black holes. And they're going to do that to earth. And that's going to consume their physical form. Not fun, but you get to be part of something bigger. So I guess that's that's fun. Um, and Again, absorbing intelligence is created and putting them all into one place. But is it for the better? No, I, I don't think it's any good. It doesn't work. It, it never seems to be for the good. And I don't know that it'll be for the good when it happens with Cerebro or Cerebra. Is Cere- it Cerebra now? No, I think it's the bro. He made oh. it. I think there was a cerebro, but I think he made it. He made it go back to the bro. He put the the gender switch in the back. He was okay. He was not feeling any of the gender dial, <laughs> a gender a gender switch, 
uh, alludes to the fact that it could go in other two directions. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> With the gender dial. He's right. Uh, no, you're right. <laughs> happy, happy, happy Pride Month out there, y'all. But um, yeah, in issue number 11, as we wind down here, one month prior to the events of the series, we find out that Xavier, Magneto, and Moira met in Moira's no space underneath Krakoa. Xavier uses Cerebro to offer Krakoa's miracle drugs to all of humanity in exchange for three conditions. Krakoa's inclusion into the United Nations, Krakoa's citizenship for all mutants, and the amnesty for all mutant criminals. His message is heard by everyone around the world, mankind and mutants alike. But again, in uh, Hickman's awesomeness, again, a very sassy message. (laughs) He comes through and he's like, you know... Like I, I, I did see him like doing the CM Punk, like crossing his legs, even though he, <laughs> well, he could walk now, but you know, crossing his legs, sitting down and going, you know, I used to want to like love, like chill with you guys. All I did was love you guys. I wanted, wanted you guys to love us back. That's it. All I did was try to do my best to find a common ground with you. And we just came up with all these cool ass miracle drugs. And back in the day, we would have just gave them shit to you because we were trying to be cool. Fuck that. <laughs> He's like, oh, that's over. Like, uh, like, um, kill No, nah, that's over with. He's <laughs> like, oh, that's over with. Uh, we got them. We got these miracle drugs for your kind because you guys need it. We don't need none of that shit. Uh, and we'll give it to you guys, but you guys going to respect us, acknowledge us, as a certain champion says. So he's, um, that he put his foot in the ground and, in doing so, like, he, I guess, I guess what, what, why I think this is so powerful is because we've gone over multiple stories that go back to the moment in which Xavier exposes himself as a mutant to society. That moment is so carefully thought out and planned because he's terrified about how people will accept the information. Not only the information that he's won, but that he has a school full of them, all of this stuff. He's walking on eggshells. This is Xavier walking into the house three o'clock in the morning, drunk, just banging on things, <laughs> knocking things over and going, Screaming. I'm home, I'm home. And what you going to do about it? it? It's such a contrast, but there's power in his voice for the first time, not trepidation, not hesitation. He's just, it is what it is. He's not asking for permission. He is speaking the facts of the world. And it all sounds good. And then he like he does the line, you know, while you slept, the world changed. And there there starts to peak some of that mutant superiority, right? It's coming through a little bit of like, nah, nah, you know what? We didn't want to hype ourselves up, but it seemingly that's what that's what the hell is gonna take. Um we find out the quiet council of Krakoa, 13 members, Xavier, Magneto, and Apocalypse. Sinister Exodus and Mystique, uh, Sebastian Shaw, Emma Frost, Storm, Jean Grey, Nightcrawler, and the Red King, with Cypher speaking for Krakoa itself. I like the Cyphers on the team uh, with Krakoa. I like that they have their own little side, like they're in the corner. <laughs> um, and then you get the four great captains who will lead in times of conflict. And I'm assuming that these times will be coming or else there will be no need for us to know that these people exist. Um, and that Cyclops, Gorgon, Bishop, and Magic. 
I love uh, I love Gorgon. I can't wait for you to read uh, Secret Warriors. Hickman is is it's one of Hickman. It's it's a character. Oh, I I was reading up on Gorg. I got into the Gorgon part. He's the samurai guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's pretty badass. <laughs> but um, but I haven't finished up with him yet. Um, I was surprised that Cyclops wasn't on the council, but I guess being a a war captain. Is right up there, you know. I think his position is a little different than sitting there on the council. He's he's leading people on the field. I also wonder if that is a narrative statement towards his role, because like we said, we just spoke about him kind of pedaling back after he was very militant. <laughs> well, I mean, the idea, I, I, not, not, not for, not to spoil anything, but if eventually, like Cyclops. Is not we we've kind of been shown already in this mini series that Cyclops is weird about some of the things that they're doing. Yeah, he's like, "Are you sure? Like, are you sure this is what you want to do? Like, I'll do what you want me to do, but are you sure this is for the good of humankind? And if it is, then I'll go ahead and do it." Mm -hmm. And he's like, "Actually, died for them now." There's gonna come a point. Yeah, there's gonna come a point where Cyclops is like. Uh, are we doing is this right i know you might be speaking from a place of actual knowledge uh, as to where this goes but like if psych like theoretically if cyclops were to find out about the Moir- moira of it all i could see him getting very upset that you just, know just or, or just any secrets that may be really like uh that may affect mutant kind in a bad way but you already talk. You spoke about the hierarchy of knowledge, right? Like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff being kept. There's a Scott. lot of stuff being kept from Scott, and if he happens to find out, I don't know that it'd be good. So I, I always kind of, I, I always kind of hope and thought that maybe the whole purpose of this Hickman story is to bring the X Men back to their best selves, mm-hmm. and by doing that, you have to you 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 have to rebuild them first. Yeah. You can't just you can't just present them as their classic selves again. After everything they've been through, first they need to react to that. And then yeah. you can reconstruct them into who they should be uh, and who they should have been all this time. And through trials and tribulations, through and, through obstacles, through yeah. th- through things that are making them question themselves. Um, it's one thing to just be good all the time. But to have to go on the journey as to question why and and how and why you surround yourself with the people that you do, I think we're gonna find out a lot of the truths in, in this. And I'm very interested in to see what the status quo becomes after this because you can't just establish all of this and it not change everything. That's that's perfect. That's exactly what it is. It's like you need to see why this wouldn't work. You need to first see why the obvious solution, as in like. You know what? We'll just move to an island. We'll be a country, and you people won't bother us. And you need to see why that wouldn't work, and why Charles's original ideals of making humans and mutants work together is why that needs to be. That's and, and if he ever wavered on his current stance, oh, oh, you know how he's going through things currently. Magneto said he'll check him. So there, there, in there lies a division waiting to get redivided, right? As soon as, as soon as one of them starts to go, hey, I don't think this is, should be what it is. You can have a, a divide right there, which is that's going to be. You don't want those two against each other again, at least not right now in this story. Um, 
so yeah, in the present, the quiet council meets to design the laws of their nation. I thought this was very cool. It reminded me of a of a project we did in school one day where they were like, so come up with rules if you started a new country. And it's when you realize like that's a lot harder than you think. Like you know, coming up with like set rules uh, for everybody is is way harder. What do you think about the rules that they ended up coming up with for Krakoa? The idea that um, they have to make more mutants. Um, mutants. Lots of sex. Lots of sex. Mutants shall not murder mutants. And that the land of Krokoa must be respected. But I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty bare minimum. But I mean, I like it. I, I'm, I'm certainly into the make more mutants part. Uh, how many mutants are we making, and who are we making them with? So what's that? But that's another thing. Like I feel like I feel like the mutants shall not murder humans is pretty clean cut. There seems to be a little bit of of like vagueness, in my opinion, to the law that mutants must make other mutants how was one, how would one break that no they just have sex i mean it's that's like that's they literally to, that's they have to so if they, can you get in trouble for not doing like excuse me i, don't, mean, I don't feel like i feel like today. i feel like like it's so like if you don't want to have sex don't come to the ceremony like, <laughs> like no, it's about to get crazy like and they they literally like we have a couple pages of the implied freak fest like yeah. It's a celebration, and all the right people are getting together and hugging and happy. It's honestly pretty wholesome. I actually love it. There's a yeah, a, a wonderful panel of Wolverine, Scott, and Gene together, where it's like, man, that's just just beautiful yeah. after all these years. <laughs> a lot of years, a lot of tears. Um, what do you think about the land of Krakoa? Must be respected. That feels like they're building in something there. Somebody's like, going to desecrate it. Someone's going to steal from it. Someone's going to build one of those, another one of those holes Krakoa doesn't know about. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Start doing graffiti on the trees. Maybe that's what that's, what that's going to be. Uh, the council, um, yeah, they end up bringing in Sabretooth to figure out what they're going to end up doing. And I've seen as they came up with the idea that uh, mutants shall not murder other humans. Uh, mutants shouldn't murder other humans. Um, they end up sentencing Sabretooth to death, I guess, or exile. Nah, they just put him in a hole, exiled into the hole. I, I like that. I can't, I think it was Gene who came up with the idea that the first law should be um, that mutants shall not mur- murder humans. Because she's like, if that's the if that's what they think is the worst thing we could do, then that should be our first law. And I was like, that's actually pretty damn smart. I also like that. Uh, Apocalypse gives his opinion once, and when they ask for it again, he's like, "I already told you. Like, I already told you how I felt about this. I'm not. I don't really care to be honest, but I already told you, so I'm not repeating myself." Um, but Xavier gives this like really cold monologue to Sabretooth about like you him breaking the laws and how he can't just kill him because if he kills him, then that allows for the idea of him being eligible to be re- resurrected and they're not about that so he's come up with this thing where the the island of krakoa will literally swallow him and keep him alive keep his senses i believe alive and he just can't move or die and that's almost worse than death so it's like this like it's so weird that there's so, certain parts of this krakoa stuff that's really he's enlightening a, Go ahead, he acknowledges brother. it though he's like it's distasteful you know i know this is the business of <laughs> this is a business of running a nation. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and it's it's that it's that coldness, it's that maker. I'm getting that maker feeling. He, said, he says it. You know, I pray that we never get used to it, that we yeah. never grow cold from it, and yeah. we never learn to love it. Yeah, that's big stuff. But like he said, it is it it's it is business running a nation, and you got to be able to do things like this. Uh, and he, even Sabretooth is like, you guys are just gonna use me as a freaking um, what do they call it? like a scapegoat, like a poster boy for this whole thing, and they kind of do. After the council adjoins, adjourns, they celebrate the birth of their new nation with the other residents of Krakoa as Xavier and Magneto proudly look on. This is what you were talking about. Fireworks. They got Dazzler out there. Um, uh, Jean Grey's hanging with Cyclops and Wolverine. He's bringing the beers. Uh, there's a cool moment where Jean Grey passes Emma a beer. I was like, ah, look at those two. Fast, fast friends. Let's go. <laughs> Eskimo sisters, but fast friends. I thought that was interesting that Apocalypse was off to the side staring at. Didn't really look happy. He, he looked like like either they're either wasting their time or they don't know what's about to come next. Yeah, I feel like that's what it is. He, he feels like they're too happy with what they've done. It's like there it's should not, be more war. <laughs> and even that, it's like there should be more fighting. No, but yeah. I feel like they don't understand what they brought on to themselves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the last issue, House of X, starts off in a year 1000. The library strolls through the preserve, which is revealed to hold mutants, not baseline humans, as previously hinted. Uh, he comes across Wolverine and Moira, who had survived via blood transfusions from the former for the past millennium, and informs them that he is arranging for them to be taken off planet before the ascension because everybody's about to blow up. It is revealed to the librarian and his race. It is real that the librarian and his race are post-humans, homo novissima, humans who have used genetic engineering and technology to direct their own evolution and thus outnumber mutant kind. The librarian explains that if Moira dies when the phalanx destroys the earth before the ascension, she can use her powers to stop them. However, if she's left behind, the dominion can use their consciousness spread throughout all of space and time to stop Moira instead. Wolverine kills the librarian and then kills Moira so that she can use her knowledge to stop the ascension of post-humanity. This is revealed to be Moira's sixth life. So how does the sixth life connect to the ninth, to the ninth life? So the sixth life. So she comes back and realizes that. Uh, yeah, they well, we, we actually don't have anything from the beginning of her sixth life. We no. literally just have this 1000 years into the future thing. I'm gonna punch you in the face, Hickman. don't play with with me like this i'm I'm trying to i'm trying to see moving forward there's Um, no there's no right now there's no we've not been given enough information to make any educated guess as to how the sixth and the ninth life connect and to how the and 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 how the sixth life even how it even works well you know you can kind of this i guess there's a little bit there because we all we know that in this sixth life she's she lived all the way up to the year 1000 seemingly from resurrections and all this other or whatever blood transfusions um and she's given this whole thing about the phalanx and technology her seventh life is the one where she becomes the assassin uh, trying to kill the trans family so maybe it does feed in maybe her conversation with the librarian here made her realize that all the I mean it's less I really destroyed. I mean it's less about this the way the feet is in but the fact that actually Cy LaBelle's body from it's the ninth sitting in there yeah from the ninth life is sitting in, in a tank. tube in the sixth life that's not a 
mistake. You know, no. that's not like an artist mistake. They focused on the body and they drew it multiple times from up close, from far away. They wanted you to know that Sila Bell from the Ninth Life is sitting in a vat in the year 1000 in the Sixth Life somehow. Yeah, sir. I guess certain events are always going to happen in the timeline, but I I'm maybe, very- but it doesn't, it wouldn't happen that way because, like, Moira, Apocalypse Moira is the one that lived in the same timeline as Sila Bell. Yes. And Apocalypse Moira is dead. So Apocalypse yes. Moira did not live into the year 1000. This is a whole no. nother life. But somehow how does it how looped. does a series of events come about that yeah. that produce Sila Bell but also don't produce Apocalypse and her on the same team? There's a crazy loop situation going yeah. on here and we do not have enough information to <laughs> no, figure we, out what no. the fuck is going on. No, we don't. But Moira seems to be at the point of all this. Would you like at this point at, at the story she is the She's, she's the linchpin of all this. She's a she's got too many secrets going on too for my secrets. liking. We can Sinister get to that, right? Sinister right. secrets. We can get to that right now, I guess. Uh when Moira sees oh sorry. And year one or year zero, when Moira sees all of Moira's sorry, when Xavier sees all of Moira's timelines and lifetimes, Xavier is crushed by the experience and revelation that mutant kind will always lose. Moira explains that. The one constant throughout all her lives is that Professor X is a good person and that she had to break that part of him to ensure mutant survival. Uh, In year 10, Xavier and Magneto meet Moira at her no space to inform her of the new council. Moira is suspicious about Emma not having named her extra council seat yet, but Xavier trusts her. Xavier also informs Moira that in order to convince Mystique to join, they made a promise that they would resurrect Destiny. She does not like this. <laughs> she very much remembers being set on fire by Destiny. She is uh, not a fan. She's opposed to precogs in Krakoa since they will end up revealing mutants' ultimate fate and jeopardizing the project. But Xavier and Magneto promise that this one will be different and that, this, uh, that the time has come for Moira to step aside. Xavier and Magneto renew their commitment to fight for mutant kind. Magneto proclaims, I am not ashamed of what I am. Let's see them try to stop us this time. So what do you think Mora got up that sleeve there? I honestly can't. I, I, I can't figure out what it is Moira has. Like, I understand being scared of destiny. Right. But um, do you think she's a heel? Do you think that she is secretly putting strings think, for a nefarious purpose? No, no, I just don't think that her uh, intentions align with what they're trying to do. Uh, yeah. But I, I know that at one point, eliminating mutants was her deal, but then she gave up on it really fast. Yes. I would hate that if, if she just never gave up on it and she's just still trying, but she can't figure out <laughs> she how was to trying the entire time. He's like, God damn, like, in every single life, you people are still alive. Yes, yeah, okay? she's not. She and the thing is, like her when they said the thing about destiny, like she was very apprehensive. She does another, not want her around. And there's like a huge revelation thing in her in her uh sixth life. First of all, she's a thousand years old. I mean, we just kind of yes. skirt a passage. She's a thousand years old at that point. How? Wolverine yeah. is fun to look, look at at a thousand years old, but like. <laughs> yeah, they more. literally said uh, who has survived via blood transfusions from the former. The, For the four. So I, I guess Wolverine, they were giving Moira Wolverine blood. 
<laughs> Does that work that way? How come everybody else isn't alive? I, I don't know. I don't know. Blood transfusions, huh? Hmm. She's. It's uh. It's um. <laughs> men making stronger men. That's that's the thing that it is. Men, they're gonna try to make man-made mutants. Men, that's designer, designer mutants. You could pick and choose your own. Uh, pick and choose your own DNA samples in there. Uh, you get the bootleg ones from um, uh, Sinister. That the fourth generation, they break down after a couple of days. But yeah, you try to do your best to come up with your own designer mutant. I thought it was um, okay. That's why I didn't remember. They they if you Moira's journal is where he kind of replaces Moira's tenth life within regular continuity. By Mo- Moira's journal also has a bunch of redacted stuff in it, right? Yeah, some stuff about Xavier. She doesn't want us to know. Dun, dun, dun. we'll find out absolutely crazy but yeah man like this i haven't been this excited to get into something in a while um and like i said i was incredibly intimidated just by the sheer amount of um stuff it's, in this like i i constantly like you know I'm, you know me i gush over what i read for fantastic four and we will definitely co- be able to cover that one of these days on here but i I guess I just get intimidated by the pure weight of it all. I, I want to be able to express the weight of the <laughs> events at hand. Um, and sometimes that's easier said than done. I think there's some other, I think uh, at the end of this book, like just reading the words is not enough to see what's being foreshadowed. Cause like you have to see the way things are being placed above what characters these words are spoken. When yeah. Moira is being asked to step aside and the focus takes us back to Apocalypse staring in the distance at Magneto and Professor X, what yeah. would Moira and Apocalypse getting back together be like for this world? You know, like what would Apocalypse, he, uh, how would he feel knowing that they did exist in, in, in another world? How do we know that she hasn't aligned with him again? You know? what, are the, what are the early machinations that Sinister is using right now to screw them over? You know, I was like, this screw more from the beginning, like, you know, I also love the clear, the clear, clear implication of the incoming war. Like, it's so obvious that there's going to be something coming that I don't even know if there is. He's like, you know, let him try to stop (laughs) us this time. And then the whole book ends on, you know, like, yes, let them try. And it's like a beautiful image of Krakoa celebrating its existence. But do you know what's funny to me that that rang from the X-Men films? That's that's what that that's what that was to me. I get it. I get that there's there's literally an incoming threat as as written in the timeline. But that read to me as what is it? Um, and what and Charles, what will you do if they came to your school of students or whatever? And he's like, uh, you know, I pray for those who. Damn it! What the hell's the line, <laughs> Yogi? I, I I don't have it on the tip of my. Head. I, I I pray for those who try or something like so, that. Yeah, I, yeah. That's what. That's how I read it. Uh. That's how I read that line. It felt like an homage to that. Like, I like to see them try. Like, this is this is the team. They ain't, they ain't finna do nothing to this. It's like, um, yes, let them try on this page. But it's like an image of hundreds of powerful, like hundreds of mutants with powers doing power things. Like, and yes, and kind of yeah. just hanging out and doing um fireworks. Like, look at this stuff. Look at this. You could try. <laughs> but then it should be mentioned, like that cover of that book. It really is Moira stepping on the bodies of all the X-Men of all mutant kind. Yeah. So like yep. what what is going on with Moira McTaggart? We don't know yet. And 
she yeah she's she's seemingly sketchy once you once you're able to reveal that she's a mutant that lives 10 lives nothing's off the table now <laughs> like absolutely nothing is off the table um uh let me see something you think professor xavier stays on the up and up i think professor xavier will realize that he's gone a little rogue yes he's professor xavier (laughs) does that mean that um that magneto will have to be the baby face to rope him in I would love for Magneto not to turn heel again, but if if bringing the X Men back to what they were before might might mean turning Magneto back to a villain, you know, like yeah, yeah, I'm not sure exactly how far he's willing to get rid of progression. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's not that Magneto is not a fun villain, too. You know, I would totally see as somebody who wants to, you know, um, uphold the legacy of the medium using one of its well-known villains, you know, and 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 doing that there. But there's no way to tell. There's a lot of stuff um, already trickled down. If you guys have already read this, that means you might be already further than we are. But I promise you, we will return to this series uh, once I finish reading the rest of this stuff and realizing how we could fit this stuff into the schedule, because we're here to talk about the latest and greatest things to come to comic book book media. And this is one of the greatest things to happen to the X-Men in the last 20 years easily. Uh, So yeah, hopefully you guys will be with us when we cover the rest of this stuff, Dawn of X, uh, Swords, et cetera, and maybe pick up some of those other uh, X-Men books that spun out humongous titles, Hellions, Marauders, et cetera. Um, But next up on the, Next up on the Major Issues podcast is going to be uh, the return of which was worse. We're going to decide oh. which is the worst film. Two films, Yogi, I have never seen. We will be putting it. We will be pitting two bad films up against each other next week. We will be, we'll be deciding which was actually worse. Howard the Duck or Jonah Hex. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, do you have an early front runner? If you had, to- <laughs> I, it's it's gonna end up being like, well, it depends on what kind of stuff you like. Because like Howard the Duck, is kind of cheese. It, it's kind of funny, but it looks like shit. You know, <laughs> right, right. And at home, Jonah Hex looks better, but it's it is, scar- it is shit. <laughs> it is shit. So it depends on what you're in for. <laughs> what, you, what you're in it for. Oh my God, we're in it for you guys. That's the only reason why we do such crazy things like that. But that will happen next week on the Major Issues Podcast. I want to thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Major Issues Podcast, uh, which is brought to you by comicbookclick.com, which is the one stop for all of our Major Issues Podcast episodes, our merchandise, the quickest way for you guys to find out about members of the Click and articles written exclusively by us. So go to comicbookclick.com for all things Comic Book Click. But if you already have a podcast app, like let's say Podbean, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, the Google Podcast app, Apple Podcasts, you can find the Major Issues Podcast. All you have to do is look us up in any podcast directory or go to Google and type in Major Issues Podcast. We'll be the first ones to pop right up. Uh, We're trying to do our best for you guys. So if you like what we're doing here, rate and review us on iTunes is the quickest way for us to grow as podcasters and find out what you like and what you don't. Because I've been to the future. I don't got 10 lives. 
I only got one. I've been to the future and uh, we do become the latest and greatest thing to come to comic books and comic book media. Can't tell you how we do it. They already killed me and I've come back with all the information. So <laughs> I can't tell you how we do it, but we definitely do it. Um, so make sure that you guys get on the bandwagon before it ends up getting full. If you want to help us and you want to support us, like I said, the, the easiest way to, is to tell a friend to tell a friend, share the podcast, share what we do on facebook.com slash comic book click, Instagram at comic book click, or use the hashtag comic book click to talk about the newest, hot, latest, greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. We're also at Major Issues CBC. So you can share all that stuff there. All of that's also in the show notes. Um, but if you want to give us a little bit more support, if you want to go above and beyond for the Major Issues podcast, and support independent content creators, go to patreon.com slash CBC Clubhouse. And for as little as $3 a month, 10 cents a day, you could help support content creators like us, keep the lights on, and help us fund some of the next exciting projects that we got coming your way uh, via Comic Book Click. But uh, I think that's all I got on my end. This has been a hell of a review, and I can't wait again to jump back into this universe. Thank you. Jonathan Hickman, but also thank you, Jonathan Escudero, who knows Jonathan Hickman so well <laughs> that you knew that this was going to be a banger and you knew that I was going to dig it. But I guess that's all I got for this week. We'll see you guys next week with those two horrible films. Go watch them and let us know how you guys feel. But my name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. I'm Jonathan Escudero, a.k.a. Yogi. And this has been our house of x powers of 10 recap and review and remember whether or not you have an adamantium skeleton whether you have all the minds of mutantdom backed up inside your head whether you think that there should be no more mutants or there should just be no more remember that we're all together in this remember we are krakoa and remember you yes you are worthy (laughs) 